It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is episode rolling in our 6-4, if you will, of the What's Real podcast. I'm your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-conspirator this week. He's connected. Uh, little do you know. Um, it's my tag team championship partner in podcasting himself, the J, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, the J? Connected to high hell, hate ya. You know how it is over in Jayville over here. If I don't die at the outset of the show, <coughs> excuse me, please. <laughs> not, a, not a way to start the Jay's opening promo, but it is. It's episode Nintendo 64 here at the What's Real podcast with our number correlations. On a beautiful Pittsburgh day here, you know, after five, it's it's banging, man. It's probably in the 70s, nice and sunny. I haven't had this much vitamin D head since I was throwing the D around back in the day during prom nights in high school. If you want to hit with the Feech present smoking over here, hey, you know, but as you can tell, nice and pumped up and delirious. Absolutely. It's going to be a show of plenty of delirium, jam-packed with all kinds of good stuff for you, of course. Me and the J are going to be talking about some of our, uh, it's the last week, by the way, of our favorite WrestleMania matches of all time. That's been pretty fun. Uh, we got one more week of that this week, so stay tuned for that. Uh, of course, we have a documentary review this week, a brand new documentary that premiered on Netflix about a week or so ago uh, called The Last Blockbuster, about the last remaining Blockbuster video store in the United States. Uh Thursday Night Prime uh, with a doozy this week uh, with Back in Action from 1993 with the uh, incomprehensible duo of Billy Blanks and Rowdy Roddy Piper. And of course, we have all kinds of other fun stuff and some goofs as well as we do every week. But the J, let's get it started. We have a lot of stuff to talk about this week. Uh, Of course, uh, as we record here on a Tuesday, uh, just coming out of the weekend, We saw a pretty outstanding finish to UFC 260, uh, specifically in the main event of Francis Naganu versus Stipe Miocic for the UFC Heavyweight Championship. And I believe we both called this one last last week on the show when we talked about it. But Francis Naganu is officially the brand new UFC Heavyweight Champion after a pretty significant bomb, if you will. Let the era of the Predator begin, hey, yo. But yeah, amazing performance. Uh, we did call it. We kind of said Stipe is amazing. He's a legend. He's had a hell of a run, a legendary run. But it is Nagano's time. And as you mentioned, we both called it in last week's quick preview. We kind of figured that the stars were aligning, and they definitely did not too far into round two with a humongous knockout uh, of Stipe. Uh, even that, you know, shot at the on the ground with the follow up, you know, he caught him before the ref got in there. So it was a double whammy, which I'm sure he's not even going to remember that second one. But yeah, brutal hook hit yet that just put Stipe crashing down. And it's not without uh, already making news, basically. Um, but a lot of people were thinking that uh, with what's been going on behind the scenes at UFC recently, that the uh, first guy to get a crack at that title uh, was going to be John Jones. Um, but that's not the case. And it's created kind of a firestorm on Twitter, not just amongst fans or anything like that, but amongst John Jones himself, who's been kind of going at Dana White as he seems to do. 
Uh, and dude, John Jones is like a, an enigma kind of a thing. Like the dude's like one of the greatest fighters of all time. He's been popped for performance enhancing drugs and also cocaine and other shit a bunch of times. Um, he's still in the mix. He still has a great record. Um, and he's still apparently going through that stage of his career, kind of like we saw a few years ago with like Conor McGregor, where he just was holding out for more money. And UFC is notoriously stingy with their fighting dollars. So, uh, you know, I think it'll get resolved like it always seems to. But it's like just another instance of this right out of the weekend already. Yeah, I mean, he he did make a good point where he's taken a lot of shit on on Twitter as who uh, famous doesn't in, in the modern age. However, you know, he was mentioning that if Conor McGregor was holding out for money, you know, that's what Conor does. And it's a normal thing. Nobody's, you know, really talking about it, let alone talking shit on Conor. But if it's John Jones, then he's scared. And, you know, everybody's saying that he doesn't want the fight and this and that, but he's basically just saying, look, man, I just, this, this is a big payday. Show me the money. And it makes sense. And then as far as Nagano goes, he addressed the potential challenge of Jones immediately after the win. And he said, for my opinion, John Jones is the greatest of all time for MMA. Him moving up to heavyweight is going to be a good thing. He's a challenge I will take and will be very good on my resume. But this time he will be the challenger. I'm the champ. He's coming up looking for me. I will be here ready to fight in July or August. So like you said, the financials are going to have to be figured out. But um, I mean, this this is the fight to make right now because you can't, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Hey, Ed, you can't really fuck around with stuff because things change so much with different injuries in camp, especially the way the MMA world is. You got to sign these things when they're there. And right now, the biggest fight in the world is Nagano is the heavyweight champ with John Jones jumping up to heavyweight for sure. I would agree with that. But I also think that, you know, there's someone else that's deserving. Uh and it's like John Jones gets to jump in front of him just because he goes up a division. Like, yeah. and I'm talking about Derek Lewis because now say what you want. I mean, I, I think that fight alone would be like one of the scariest fights of all time between Lewis and Nagano because they're both like the same kind of dude. Like they both drop bombs and it's, and D Lewis is kind of hard to knock out. So, you know, that would be a tricky fight for Naganu. And I, I mean, bottom line is, as far as Naganu goes, uh, he said that he doesn't see any reason to do a trilogy with Stipe, which I, I understand that they're one and one and he has the belt now. So I get why he would say that. Uh, John Jones is the big money fight. And Derek Lewis is the one where he probably has the most to lose. Um, you know, just matchup wise and shit like that. So it's pretty interesting that the heavyweights are getting a little bit of shine because it's been a while since the UFC heavyweights have been really good exactly. to me outside of maybe one or two guys. So, you know, it's interesting uh, looking forward, but it's just another instance too of a reminder to me of why I hate this company because Dana White is such a fucking shit bag. I just can't stand the dude. Um, and how he goes at fighters and shit. I just think that's stupid shit. I hate it. It's just flexing your chest bullshit. Um, especially because Dana White's just a figurehead. It was different when he was the face of the company and he ran the company. His, you know, it was basically his company. It's not anymore. So um, it's that part's annoying. But I get it. They're trying to build fights and shit like that. So what are you going to say? That's just how he is. Just talking a lot of shit. But yeah, I mean... 
that Lewis Nagano fight it goes right along with the impending Godzilla versus King Kong. Hey, you know, that's that kind of matchup. And and it kind of is a win-win for the fans. I mean, I take a, a Derek Lewis Nagano fight into a John Jones fight later, like maybe, you know, fall or winter after, after it, if they go the Lewis route first. Cause I know Joe Rogan was talking about that saying that that's a great matchup too. So I'll take the fact that like you mentioned, man, the heavyweight division in the biggest MMA company in the world, UFC is kind of back going parallel with the boxing heavyweight division kind of being, uh, yeah. you know, back to form. So it's pretty cool right now in 2021 having the, you know, within the combat sports realm here, the heavyweight divisions that are, that have had a really pretty long uh, down, down, kind of period for a while there. I mean, I've liked Stipe and stuff, but like you said, he hasn't been too flashy. Uh, Nagano's come up has been fun to watch, but now we're hitting this point where the stars are aligning and there's some really solid contenders and the, the divisions are both getting pretty loaded. So some interesting things are, are coming up. So I'll take it either way, man. I'm looking forward to either Nagano versus Derek Lewis, or of course the, the big money fight, John Jones versus Nagano uh, sometime soon here for the next big UFC heavyweight title defenses. Yeah, and we'll have to see uh, the way that that all shakes out in the coming weeks and months. And I'm sure we'll talk about more uh, more of these matchups as time goes on. So stay tuned for that on future episodes. Um, also, in the world of combat sports, if you will, uh, something we've talked about here for months on on the podcast is the WWE Network moving to Peacock, which they've they're kind of in the final days of the network existing as a standstill in the United States before it fully goes just to Peacock. Um, and there's been a lot of news and everything in the in the past week or so about the content being edited. And uh, of course, it's uh, this is from Deadline. Uh, social media is in an uproar over Peacock's decision to edit certain past events from its recently acquired WWE Network video library. NBC Universal has been trimming some matches along with questionable racial content and profanity. Fans complaining are claiming that by doing so, the networks are, quote, erasing history, unquote, in the words of some enthusiasts. WWE and NBC Universal announced a multi-million dollar or multi-year agreement in late January that was reportedly worth about a billion dollars. And the WWE uh, network will remain accessible in the U.S. until April 6th, then fully shift to Peacock. Um Sources indicate all content on Peacock is rated and subject to the network's standards and practices. The WWE programming being edited is generally older footage that's more raw than the family-friendly WWE events showcased more recently on network television. Um, Now, I know what this looks like to the outside world of people. It's exactly, that's why I picked this deadline article uh, for this. Uh, because I feel like this is from a general person's point of view, and I understand why somebody like that would feel this way. But me and the Jay are not your typical people. We're wrestling fans. Um, and this is a part of the wrestling business that a lot of people apparently don't understand. And being that, I mean everybody from people on social media to even companies like NBC Universal, Like it or not, Wrestling's past for a long time was based on shit like racism and xenophobia. And I'm talking like evil foreigners, uh, stuff like that. Or they didn't necessarily put, you know, black wrestlers in offensive gimmicks, but they would have them do offensive angles. And it was used to build up heat because back then 
when people thought wrestling was real. It was about getting real heat and tapping into the emotion of fans and making them pay to see something. Um, I think that doing stuff like this is kind of short-sighted in the fact that you're essentially going to have to erase like 50 years of wrestling history to continually skirt this kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's more along the lines of like, have you ever seen something like how Blazing Saddles is now when you watch it on TV or cable or something like that? The kind of warning you get at the beginning uh, before you watch it, like, you know, this movie's kind of outdated, like it has stereotypes and things that may be offensive to some people, viewer discretion advised. I don't see any reason why they can't post the stuff like that. That's um, what that's what WWE did initially after the Benoit incident. They started putting and, that disclaimer on before everything. And my understanding is in some of the things that are included as too extreme for NBC Universal, um, I understand that Chris Benoit stuff is going the wayside. I don't know if that's true, um, but it's something that I've heard. Um, and not just like, you know, random people on the internet, like a bunch of they just edited out of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about here. So we'll have to see how that works out in the future. Cause I don't even have Peacock yet. I have no idea if you've even had a chance to mess around with the, the, the WWE network. I, I have, Peacock. I have briefly so far, but I still, cause for example, I watched the Beth Phoenix icon. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I didn't even know that was on yet. And I still, I was going to watch it on Peacock to kind of test it. The only thing I watched on Peacock was like a qu- quick little WrestleMania uh, special to just try it and, and it was fine, but, okay. um, I'm kind of waiting until I can't use the old network anymore. I'm kind of just Same. squeezing that like an orange. Yeah. At this point, since I know it's going to be gone and then I figure I have to me- mess with Peacock anyway. So I feel like, you know, the big experiment there of course is going to be the, um, double nights of WrestleMania, uh, coming up soon to be the first big experiment test with that. But a- as you said, Hey, you know, with the breakdown of this, uh, as they mentioned in the deadline article, that sources indicate that all content on Peacock is rated and subject to the network standards and policies. So that's yep. the thing with the WWE making this deal and it's a billion dollars, you know, they're, they're going back to editing. Uh, of course, like, like you were alluding to the generally older footage that's more raw than the family friendly, friendly, more uh, recent uh, handful of decades that, you know, we saw in the attitude era and things like that. And I guess, one of the first things that made a big splash on social media that a lot of people were bitching at was a fan complaint about the Peacock trimming WrestleMania six in particular airing on pay-per-view in 1990. As you and I know, Hey, at the event saw the late Roddy Piper take on bad news. Brown Piper, a white wrestler painted his body half black for his match against Brown, a black wrestler. Well, the current Peacock has that match along with a Piper interview being completely scrubbed from the Peacock version of WrestleMania six. So th- I think that's what people were talking about. I mean, you're eliminating an entire match from, from a oh, WrestleMania. It's, it's just not the same thing. It's going to be more. And that's what I'm telling yeah. you. Like, this is where it starts. There's a very strong possibility that there's going to be no Chris Benoit on the network um, or on Peacock. I should say. Um, I also think that you're going to see a whole plethora of like, um, territory stuff that's going to be gone um now granted a lot of this stuff is even from the 70s and 80s and i'm talking about a lot of wwf footage that's on there in interviews early like 84 85 wwf is going to be kind of cleansed because of that uh there's gonna be more stuff because eventually 
a lot of this stuff is going to be included in this. Like you would got to assume that they're like, uh, where does it stop? Like, do they take out early gold dust? Do they take out, I mean, like a shitload of ECW stuff. As, like as we said, it's, it's all up to their discretion because of this, this merger and, and what's going on within this contract. And that's where, where you, you know, sign over your rights for a billion dollars now Peacock and NBC as a corporation have the ability to do exactly what we're breaking down here. And in a personal example from the past, hey, Ed, um, I don't know how you have personally felt about this, but I have a tough time watching ECW on the WWE network as it stands now because they changed all the music. As, as we famously know, for those listening that don't know, at the time of ECW, when it was going on live back in the, the mid to late 90s and early 2000s, they had a deal where they could pretty much use whatever music they wanted well, to. Well, they, they didn't have a deal. They just did it. They just did it. So, <laughs> but by any means, that kind of like was a, a big attribute for myself watching ECW was, you know, the entrances to like, it's a big example, appeal. It's a huge appeal. Like Sandman to enter uh, the Sandman. And, and of course, new, new Jack w- coming down to um, natural born, killers. natural born killers. And, Things like that, you know, Rob Van Dam with Walk, and it kind of like I don't know, it's just weirdly like I, I, if I'm really in the mood for ECW, I can easily get through the entrances with the the shitty music and, and watch the matches, of course. But for the most part, you know, my point is like exactly to this. Like I had a tough time watching that, and that's just a small example to what we're alluding to, what this kind of purge can do with them making decisions on what is, you know, good to put on there as a family friendly product to the past stuff that isn't, especially towards, you know, for, for mature fans like us that like, you know, that get in the mood for hardcore stuff and things like that. We might want to go back and watch some, some hardcore stuff and we don't want it to be edited by any means, let alone the fact that you can't even access it. So uh, again, I guess this is another thing. Hey, Ed, like we've, we've alluded to where that's why you hang on to your hard copy libraries and why we still have them. I have all my old wrestling DVDs in the attic. So if I really need to, I could pop those back out completely unedited back when they came out. The complete Chris Benoit DVD I still have, uh, even though I never feel like watching his matches, as we've we've said before, uh, you know, that's a whole other ball game and can of worms. But yeah, nonetheless, I just don't like the fact that I think it's what you're trying to say, hey, Ed, where, you know, it starts now with, with the Roddy Piper Bad News Brown match at WrestleMania 6. What more are they going to start doing? You know, and it's just at the outset. So who knows how much they're going to purge here. We're just going to have to see. And it's just ridiculous at this point. Let's just be honest. Like I get it that things are offensive to people and I'm fully 100% behind not making people feel shitty. Um, Does this really do anything to help anybody? You know, that's what I always say. Like me and you talk about like, of course, nowadays, like cancel culture is a big thing. And I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, what does it really do? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, cause it also affects people that have nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? Like it's just certain things are deemed no longer, you know, palatable for everybody. And that's odd. Like I, and that also extends out the things that are shitty. Like that's just how this works. It sucks to a degree, but it's also something important And it's like, they act like people have no critical thinking skills. Like somebody can't see, like, you know what I mean? Like, dude, I could watch a movie that's about a fucking serial killer. And I'm not like, yeah, murder everybody. Like, I get it. 
you're not it's not that kind of a thing like and then you could watch another movie that's a funny movie about a serial killer where that it's it's you're in on the joke kind of a thing and it's a completely different mood like they're not the same even though they have a similar plot they're not the same one's a comedy and the other one's not like they just act like people don't have critical thinking skills or they get all their you know morals from comedians and shit like it's just a weird fucking way to be that's why you have all these options like with YouTube and kids YouTube. I mean, I have two small children, you know, my, my wife and I keep an eye on what they're watching and we're able to, to filter that with, with the options on a bunch of this technology. So it's one of those things where going back to the outset of this article and breaking this particular thing down, hey, Ed, like you said, that the, all they need to do is have a disclaimer. You know, that's why they have the TVMA ratings and things like that. So yep. when you're when you're going back and watching an Attitude Era pay-per-view, it should just say, you know, this is for mature audiences only, like it already does. So and I was you know, kind of it's just not I was kind of good. I was kind of waiting until WWE issued a statement about this, which they've actually done. Uh, but I'm not really gonna take any time to read it here on the show because it pretty much is just like, yep, we sold it to them. They can they have certain things they have to deal with. So like they just totally skirted the whole thing. So it doesn't surprise me. It is what it's like, dude, they got their money and they're running. Like yeah. they don't care. You know what I mean? It's just, it's there to promote the pay-per-views and other things they want to do. They're not concerned about the catalog. I mean, we've all kind of known for years that they haven't really been super concerned with their catalog. We found that out maybe a year or two into having the network that the catalog was not a priority. It's just something they kind of sprinkle in here and there. So, you know, whenever you're in it for something like that solely as a fan, it's going to be disappointing to you. There you go. It just is what it is. As usual, we know what this hardcore fans is the most, you know, this is what life was like before the network. Yep. You know what I mean? Like you just had to own everything. So I don't know. Uh, but then they wonder why bootleggers and people like that start doing stuff too, because you know, you know, people want what they want. They're going to get it one way or another. You see the uh, specific other incident they mentioned. The article that was purged was from 2005 Survivor Series in 2019, oh, yeah. where WWE of chairman <laughs> Vince McMahon referred to black wrestler Booker T using a slur. You know, trying to be hip. Which, uh, again, yeah, just him word. trying to do that is just, just hilarious, you know, because it wasn't a racist thing. It was just him being a, a, a goof. But but he's, well, he's also a tone-deaf idiot. Even <laughs> yeah. at the time, that shit was like, uh, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. but that that's, you know, again, like, they don't have to answer for themselves either. Like, it's like the things never existed. So, uh, what can you do? So, of course, one of the things that we talk about here profusely on the show uh, is sneakers. And um, there's been some interesting developments in the last week when it comes to uh, the world of sneakers. Uh, And I'm thinking there's some connected things here. I'll explain myself in a minute. But there was a big story uh, released on SGB Media uh, online this past week. Nike to stop selling to six additional wholesale accounts. Um, so it says in a note, Williams trading analyst, Sam Poser stated that proprietary checks confirmed that Nike will close six additional wholesale accounts, uh, DSW urban outfitters, shoe show, uh, Dunham sports, Olympia sports, and big five, 
Uh, the report also indicated that Nike would no longer sell apparel directly to Macy's, although athletic footwear sales will continue through Finish Line's partnership to operate in-store shops inside Macy locations. Um, the reported account closures uh, come as Nike has been gradually exiting uh, wholesale accounts that do not adequately support Nike's positioning in the marketplace. In, 29, or in 2017, Nike announced plans to focus its organizational resources in the future on 40 key retail partners and its consumer direct efforts while pulling back from undifferentiated channels of distribution. Uh, Last August was the first report Nike's exit from nine stores, City Blue, Vim, Eblens, Belk, Dillard's, Fred Meyer, Bob Stores, Boscovs, and Zappos. Um, so, and this is kind of linked into what we've been talking about here on the show. So for those who might not be able to see through this, Nike is kind of getting rid of all of the companies they do business with where you can kind of buy cheap Nike shit. Like where they have like nondescript Nike shoes uh, or they just sell a bunch of apparel like socks and things like that. Nike's cutting all of these people out because Nike is strictly in the hype business and they don't need these retailers anymore. Um, and I think that a lot of this stuff kind of ends up being sold at like sell through stores like Burlington and shit like that, like Marshalls and Ross and stuff. And Nike's trying to cut down on that stuff because it kind of lowers their brand status. So if you're, if your business is solely based on hype and that's what you're worried about, you're going to try and make sure that your company is constantly looked at as like the pinnacle of something. So Nike is kind of scaling back with these guys because they want to do more stuff in the Jordan stuff with dunks, with more expensive shoes, basically. As we always say, hey, yeah, cue the million dollar man Ted DiBiase's theme music. Mm -hmm. Money, 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 money. And you just picture that CEO we've been discussing when we bring up the the current, like, you know, kind of sneakerhead scandal stuff with all this uh, Donna Ho, as we call him here. At oh, yeah. And I just picture him as like a modern, younger version of Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Like, he just slips his robe <laughs> off, he's just in the nude and does like a you know, triple Lindy off his diving board into a swimming pool of money. Probably just does the backstroke, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, man. But again, it's, it's just a money play. You know, they're, they're just uh, cutting out the middlemen, things like that. You know, it's nothing, nothing that Dillard's and Fred Myers and DSW's doings helping them out in the hype game, as you said. So they're, they're cutting it, cut off. it's cut off time, baby. Yeah. And I mean, it's, We'll see if it works. I mean, I'm going to guess it's going to or they wouldn't be doing it. But, you know, that's the thing is they'll always get welcomed back into the fold if they so choose. So they don't care. They're going to try it and see how it works. Um, also, in other shoe news, this has been making fucking people lose their minds. Um, there is a collaboration on a Nike Air Max shoe, not from Nike, but between rapper Lil Nas X and a company called Mischief. And the big deal was they're like all Satan related. And there's even a drop of blood in the air souls. Um, there's pentagrams on it and shit. And it's just like an artist rendering of an Air Max, uh, like 97, I think it is. Um, now, 
you know, like with everybody losing their minds, I was wondering how long it was going to take for this. But Complex reported that Nike is now suing over the Satan sneakers by Lil Nas X and Mischief. Um, They had issued a statement regarding the lawsuit. It says Nike filed a trademark infringement and dilution complaint against Mischief today related to the Satan shoes. The brand said, we don't have any further details to share on pending legal matters. However, we can tell you we do not have a relationship with Lil Nas X or Mischief. The Satan shoes were produced without Nike's approval or authorization, and Nike is in no way connected with this project. Um, Because there's been a lot of confusion online with people, even though I realized pretty quickly that this was just like an artist thing it wasn't nike um but nike ain't down with that shit because there's a lot of people that get freaked out over this kind of stuff especially with lil nas x also being a homosexual rapper um nike doesn't want to deal with the backlash of any of this um i kind of find the whole thing funny that like nike is suing and people are super offended over it it just is what it is um it's not anything I would give a shit about having on my feet anyways, um, especially going for over $1,000 a pair, too, which was originally reported in the news, uh, which is, again, completely ridiculous. This is what people are doing. <laughs> I was going to say, um, talk about hype. Hey, yeah, now, you know, these things that already went through a prompt sellout, of course, with Nike, you know, like like anything that gets like, you know, this kind of reputation within the media, of course, creates even more hype, you know, for however many are out there. Now these are the, the Satan shoes that are banned. So like you said, they're going for a thousand. Well, you could triple that probably around the corner here. Yeah. I mean, it's especially if pairs have gotten out. So like, you know, whoever has pairs of these, they're going to be worth significant amount of money. And coming out next, hey, it are the Jesus shoes to combat these. Some Air well, Max no, 95s. They, you don't remember. They had the Jesus ones. It had the the water, the holy water in the in thing. The remember, yeah, remember that? The They were Air Maxes. So, you know, I guess that's also sort of the answer to that as well. But uh, this is something that I guess we're going to be doing here on a regular basis here on the show. It's kind of our, our way to work in our own sneaker type thing. Uh, but some of the best releases coming up, according to sneaker news, uh, the off-white Chuck 70 restocks and the Nike Air Max and 95 LeBron headline this week's top releases. Um, of course, there's like so many fucking shoe releases every it's week. It's ridiculous, man. Um, but of course, in shoes that there's no way in fuck we're going to be getting, and I wouldn't be able to get them anyway, the Nike Dunk Low Wolf Gray, their women's colorway, but those are sick. I, yeah, they're nice. I'd love to get my uh, my hands on a pair. And I also like the medium curries. Did you see these? Uh, yeah, they are like the classic Chuck Taylors. No, 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 no. They're dunks. The dunks. Oh, I got them. The yeah, they're, they're more the brown ones. Yeah, like gotcha. those are sick too. I actually like those a lot. Uh, the off-whites aren't my thing at all. Yeah, the that's, off-white uh, Converse Chuck 70s. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, there's just... And, and of course, too... Uh, Air Jordan 9 changed the world, uh, which, you know, not for me. They're cool, but, you know, just super colorful. Um, And then, of course, foam posits, which, like, I've never... Were you ever a foam posit guy? I don't even know if we've ever done... Yeah, it just... No no thanks. Uh, I get what they're for, but never really been a thing of mine. Um, Now, I've been seeing the Adidas forums a lot in places. 
Yeah. Like I haven't seen the, the crew green ones, but I've seen red and blue ones. Uh, and they're pretty sick, dude. Like, I like it when Adidas kind of goes like old school with a lot of their shit. Like, don't get me wrong, booster cool and shit. And even though I don't buy a ton of that stuff, I'm more prompted to go out and buy Adidas that are like these. Um, but nice to see that they're sticking to some of the old school stuff. I just kind of wish they would make it more of a priority. Yeah, just kind of a classic vintage look. But uh, yeah, I like those crew greens. Uh, Air smooth. Jordan, Air Jordan 12 low. Uh, coming up for Easter, of course. Yeah, the light blue uh, ones. Yeah, I mean, I just don't like the 12 and lows, but like in some highs, those would be ridiculous. Yeah, they're not bad. And uh, did you see the Air Max 95 or LeBron's? I'm looking for Oh, those are sick. Yeah, the Laker color 95. And I hate the fucking Lakers, but those are sick. They're sick, like, yeah. Are you, that, that's, so that's probably, uh, where we could kind of leave it for the week there, but I'll leave you with this. Uh, are you going to try and grab those? I'm going to try and, but I highly doubt I'll grab them. Cause I know that uh, you're a 95 guy. Yep, so 95 guy. I love those. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. But it's not too often that the J as we talk about from week to week here on the podcast gets the godding. Oh yeah. It's, it's pretty rough. Uh, but dude, this is uh, kind of a easy week. Uh, if you will, because I think the only ones that I would even try for would be the curries because the other ones are for women. So they don't make my size. And uh, there's some other stuff that I liked, but nothing that I'm going to even try to buy. So that's kind of good. Well, I wanted to mention, too, it's ironically one of the handful here. We we kind of skipped uh, going to the end, skipping to the, the LeBron 95s. But you'd be surprised, I think, to hear that I'm kind of somewhat into these uh, Airtune Max Celeries. Have you seen these? They're like brown, almost copper. Oh, I'm really just because they're so different. That's what I mean. I don't know. They they kind of grew on me. Like was you know they have to go with a pretty specific outfit as we always talk about on the fashion sense side of it. Or you just wear all black or just black and white. But they're they're pretty goddamn different. The air tune max celeries, and I guess the uh, it mentions that they were delayed. So you know, you know, it's just as a side note here, just kind of talking about that shit. Uh, I'm more willing, I think, to wear like something way different or crazier, I guess is the best way to put it, uh, in the summer with shorts because you kind of get away with more shit like that. Like sometimes if you get like, I'm not saying even these specifically, but like just wearing these, like when it's cold out with jeans looks like shit or something, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't wear those with just blue jeans, you know what I'm saying? Like but in the summer there's different shit for me anyway, that I can kind of get away with, with stuff like that. So I basically have some shoes that like, I'm not touching until it's shorts weather. Yep. Yeah. Cause I was but, looking at them. I'm like, those are normally not my cup of tea, but they're just so different. They're kind of cool. They kind of grew on me like checking them out. So, and I don't think if like, I think if you did want to get those, like I don't think you would have a problem getting them either. Like they, they're not going to sell say out that, the first five. I know now, now that we say that, yeah. Yeah. I, it seems to be that way. Like, I mean, the only time that stuff doesn't sell out is when it's like, like the bacons that we talked about last week, the Air Max nineties, those sold out right away. But that's because that's like one of the hypest pairs hype, yeah. of all time. But normal, like, dude, you can get like a whole variation of nineties right now at the store if you wanted to. So it's not, it's just, it's not ridiculous, put it that way. But uh, 
But of course, that kind of leads us into this, the Jay. As you said, the weather's fucking nice, brother. So this week, what do you got for a sneaker check for us? Anything special? What's real sneaker check? Well, I'm going to throw out for the sneaker check. Hey, uh, as you know, uh, it's funny we were talking about it because it kind of hit my head when I brought it up here live on the show that we don't get the Godim too much. But I actually did get a recent Godim that okay. I haven't that I haven't brought up on the show. So I actually scored uh, those navy blue. Um, you got to help me out here. Oh, the, so jo- the Georgetowns. The Georgetowns. Yeah. So which I was surprised about. Um, because I was like 0 for 6 leading into it. So now the J is 1 for 7 with the Georgetowns. Uh, I, I mentioned to you, hey, Ed, I am going to keep those on ice for the time being. I'm going to kind of see where they are on StockX uh, over the summer and things like that because yep. uh, I definitely do love them, but I've purchased so many pairs and we've had such shitty, shitty weather that I got a ton of stuff to wear uh, leading into some you know, hopefully nice weather spring, summer here in Pittsburgh that I can sport uh, what I already have in the collection and not worry about busting those out and keeping them on ice. Uh, but yeah, that's now, my, my sneaker check for the week is the Georgetowns and Landon Nose. Well, I was going to tell you too, like we were talking about these uh, after you grabbed them. And then I told you, I watched a, a review from wear testers on YouTube, by the way, if anybody's listening and you want like the best shoe reviews on YouTube, check out wear testers, all one word. Um, you won't be disappointed. Dude reviews shit amazingly. Um, but he reviewed those and uh, that's where I saw that they had a special box, which I mentioned to you and you kind of sent me a picture the day they came in like, oh, they just came in, but I haven't talked to you about it since. What are those like? Are, are you happy with them? What's the leather? I've seen some people complaining about the elephant toe, like the, the, the seam is like rolled up on them, which is different from the old ones. Yeah, that's uh, one thing about it. That's that's a good call. I was going to mention that. And, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't try them on yet or anything. Okay. It's okay. completely ice. You're really keeping them on ice. Yeah, for now. Um, but yeah, just just the aesthetic. And I mean, I, I obviously checked them out, you know, held them in hand and things like that. And like you said, the box is really cool with the elephant print. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, I'm, for me personally, for, for those that don't know, I don't know if we mentioned it, they're specifically Air Jordan 3s, um, you know, quote unquote, the Georgetowns, like Hey Eot said and save me from my weekly brain fart. But yeah, I mean, just, just, they're just pretty shoes, man. Just the aesthetic, just the Navy gray with the elephant print, of course the white. So um, I'm sure, you know, at, at the, in the grand scheme of things, if they don't break the ceiling of like five Hondo, uh, I'm good to, you know, most likely just plan on keeping them and, and sport them maybe by the end of the summer. Uh, I'll let you and all our listeners uh, in on a little secret when it comes to Jordan's. Um, this is the best way I've found to do this. So if you buy a pair of Jordans and you keep them on ice, cause you're like, maybe it's not the right time to wear them. Like that happens with me a lot. Like I'll buy them during cold weather. And I'm like, I'm not wearing these. It's fucking snowing outside. Are you kidding me? Uh, and I'll keep them on ice. Right. The next time to really check the prices on them, uh, for me would be the next time the weather's warm, but I was going to tell you, hold on to them till next summer. And see where they're at in a year, because that gives you a real good estimate if the numbers are crazy or not. It, it holds up over the course of the year, because at that point, they've sold out on sneakers. Maybe some retailers have gotten their hands on a few pairs. Those have sold. So, like, you know, in a year that, like, your shoes are basically representative of the, of the secondary market. Right. And then you can kind of gauge like no fucking way I'm selling these or like, I'm just going to wear these ones. I don't even care. 
uh, and I have both. Like I currently I'm sitting on ones that like, I really don't want to touch them because I think they're going to go crazy. Um, and I have other ones that I'm like, nah, I can deal with that. It's not out of control. Um, but man, the Jordan market's gone fucking insane. It's bananas. So, how, how many would it, you say, how many pairs do you have on ice as of uh, recording? In general or Jordans? In general. Uh, let me see. I'd say anywhere from like four to six. Okay. Yeah, I just have the one because you know me. I normally just get this, the the ones that I I want for the collection and that I just want to sport as soon as the weather breaks, as we said. But yeah, these ones in particular, uh, I just felt like you know what I'm gonna use this as kind of a an experiment for the J here and sit on them for a bit and see what you know. Let's see what happens. And like you said, I'm gonna take your advice. I'm gonna you know probably ride them out for like I said over the summer and you know possibly go for the the year long. See where we're at. Dude, you, a, good, what goes on there. a good time to double check for those is like either the start of the college basketball season next year or March Madness. Yeah. Because there's a lot of that shit that affects the shoes, like especially when you're talking Jordans of a different, you know, of a special kind or, you know, certain things like that's basically a PE. Uh, it's yeah, a like like we even mentioned the with the, the release of The Last Dance. And, yep. you know, a Jordan That's market that was bananas anyway, then it, it went that, you know, that much more hype. You used to be able to catch them, like you used to be able to get Jordans and shit at the mall, uh, like maybe some of the more unpopular colorways or things like that. Like, but you could go and get them in hand. It wasn't a problem. Maybe you can get them in your size. Maybe you could. Um, but that shit's gone. That's done. Like first day release limited Jordans. Now they're all gone, they're gone. everywhere. Yep. Pretty much every kind too. Like even the newest ones are like that. Like in any number that they put out along with dunks and SBs or SB dunks, I should say too. Um, those you could fucking forget about it. There's it's, it's impossible. You need hookups on almost everything or you need to get lucky like you did on those. So that's how you do it. Take it, hey, you know, maybe the Jays making some five Hondo on some ice sneaks soon. We'll see. Keep everybody yeah. in the loop. I'll uh, keep my fingers crossed for you on there. Um, today, I didn't really have anything too special. I just rolled with a pair of Adidas Trusk runs, but I also got a pair of shoes. Uh, so that's kind of awesome. Good timing for this. That's segment. what I was going to mention. You got yours too to throw back. Yeah, I got a, I mentioned here a few weeks ago that I got a pair of air structures because we talked about them on uh, an episode uh, where Complex did the 100 best Nikes of all time. And uh, they were on there and I was like, man, I really wish Nike would reissue these. I walked into the store and they reissued a different colorway. Uh, so I got those. I still haven't worn them yet, by the way. So that's one of those dead stock pairs we're talking about. Um, but I did get the OG colorway today. Um, and they're fucking awesome. Uh, so they're like black, gray, like a weird blue and even a little pink on there too. Like, and, uh, you know, the, uh, infrared kind of pink that they do. Um, but it's not too much. They're sick. Uh, I might wear these ones before I wear the other ones that I got. Uh, but like, yeah, I'm definitely wearing one of them. For sure. The other ones were the the Raider, Oakland Raider kind yeah. of colorway, the black yep. and gray. Yeah. And so I have that. a pair of like the Shadow One Low Jordans that I have uh are the same colorway as those. So I already kind of have a pair in that colorway. 
Um, but the thing is with with the the OG ones, they're more of like I gotta wear simple shit with them because they like I don't have too much pink shit or like wild ass blue. You know what I mean? So I gotta stay with the blacks and grays and shit to match with those. Yeah, snatch a uh, Bret Hart shirt from that would fight. that <laughs> that see that might work. You know, I'd have that to double work. check the pink on it. Like, yeah. I th- but it's see that's the thing. It's not pink. It's like infrared pink. Right. It's almost so like, reddish. Well, and it's like naturally, you know how that goes. Like the only thing that you're really gonna find in most cases to match that is like some Nike shit that they put out specifically to match them. The exact color, yeah. So, uh, I was really happy to get those, and uh, you know, I've just been picking up a lot of shit for summertime. Like I've, I was kind of surprised because, as we mentioned too, not too long ago on the show about me moving, uh, that you know, I kind of redid stock on like my closet and all my shit. Um, and I was really surprised at the lack of stuff I had for summertime, man. So I've been just grabbing shorts and all, cause you know, this summer we're going to be out fucking side, uh, you know, as we will be vaccinated by that. I was going to say, yeah, we could all finally hopefully get out of it, you know, especially on those nice days and social distance and some out, outside get togethers. Hey, you know, I got to see the new yeah. crib. It'd be nice, man. Hell yeah. I'd like to have, uh, you and a bunch of people over, uh, actually. So that would be nice. Uh, but yeah, that's what's been going on on the sneaker front for sure. So that's always good to get that stuff in on the episode here. Um, oh, another cool thing, not to uh, completely change the subject, but to completely change the subject. Uh, Nas uh, had his original album, uh, his first album, Illmatic, recently uh, archived in the Library of Congress, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, the 2021 batch of additions to the library include Janet Jackson, of course, Nas, Patti LaBelle, Cool and the Gang, Pat Metheny, and Louis Armstrong. The National Recording Registry announced uh, the records were deemed worthy of preservation for all time based on their cultural, historical, or aesthetic importance in the nation's recorded sound heritage. Uh, of course, Janet Jackson's album was Rhythm Nation, 1814 from 1989, Nas's Elmatic, Patti LaBelle's 1974's recording of Lady Marmalade, Cool in the Gang Celebration, uh, Louis Armstrong and his orchestra's 1938 rendition of When the Saints Go Marching In, Connie Smith's 1964 single Once a Day, Albert King's Born Under a Bad Sign album, which is fucking a great album uh, if you're into blues guitar. Uh, Marlo Thomas and Friends record Free to Be, You and Me, uh, another great album, Jimmy Cliff's album, The Harder They Come, Jackson Brown's Late for the Sky LP, which is a great one because it has the song from Taxi Driver on it. Yeah. Pat Metheny's 1976 record, Bright Size, Li- Bright Size Life. And last but not least, Kermit the Frog's The Rainbow Connection. Gotta get Kermit so, in there. Of course. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, I think these... Uh, for the most part, are songs that most people will know and albums that people will know because, you know, they're all deemed pretty important. Uh, but I really like that for Nas because uh, I'm a big Nas fan. And obviously, Illmatic isn't just one of my favorite rap albums of all time. It's one of my favorite albums, period. Yeah, that's one time. of those ones we always say from front to back. You know, you yep. just let it let it go. 100%. So kudos to him. And dude, this is pretty crazy. Uh, but... There was a recent story, of course, the uh, story has disappeared, uh, it was on a hypebeast.com about the producers of The Last Dance are working on a documentary about the DOC, uh, 
who's very well known behind the scenes of NWA. Um, and people might be familiar with his story. If not, uh, the doc was one of the primary recording artists with Ruthless Records back in the day when NWA was a thing. He was one of the primary songwriters for NWA, and he was poised to make a really big star uh, out of himself. Uh, but he got into a car accident and he got his larynx destroyed. Um, so he sounds completely different and basically couldn't be a rapper anymore. Um, and there's definitely a really cool story behind it too. So that it's kind of a good thing to make a documentary out of. Yeah. I'm all for it. Love docs. Uh, it's a great documentary filmmaking team, obviously with the last dance was, you know, we, we gave it pretty much 10 out of 10. It was amazing. And uh, I guess they're staying busy because there's supposedly uh, we covered it a while ago, but reportedly uh, the same team, you know, crew making the last dance uh, was in charge of the upcoming rumored Vince McMahon documentary for Netflix. So, yep. Uh, but that makes sense. You know, you make a, a timeless documentary um, with the last dance and the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan, you're going to get many more opportunities. So, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens here. I'm sure it's a ways away, but uh, definitely pretty interesting. And I would definitely sit down and, and watch a documentary about the DOC. And uh, before we take a break, I got one more uh, pretty wild story, actually. Uh, this one comes from theathletic.com, and I'm really surprised that this hasn't made bigger uh, headlines in the sporting world. But NHL has banned referee Tim Peel after a hot mic comment about a uh, Nashville Predators penalty. Uh, referee Tim Peel will no longer work in the NHL, uh, nor in the future, after his comments about a Nashville penalty were heard on a hot mic during Tuesdays of last week. Uh, Red Wing Predators game the league announced last Wednesday. Peel was due to retire at the end of the season, uh, of course, so it's not like the biggest uh, punishment for him. But he got caught on a hot mic saying, quote, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early in the game uh, before the audio cut out. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, pretty wild, even though that's something that people have said for years that referees do is continually uh, denied by pretty much every sports league. But, uh, yeah, that pretty much confirms <laughs> that people yeah. were right. Uh, and you can imagine the kind of stuff that uh, people have called in, in years past that are, you know, down this lane. That's the thing. Yeah. And it's it's the double-edged sword, head that we always say, man, it sucks to be, you know, for all of us to, to be this much under the microscope and every single thing we do is basically recorded. And, you know, even if it's the microphones in our phone, I mean, that just happened the other day, like literally across the, the, the living room, my wife and I watching TV and she's like, oh, take a look at, um, you know, I texted you a link for the, the fire pit I'm looking at getting us for, for this summer. And I click on it go into Facebook and the first, the very first thing on there, not even a full three minutes later is ads for the fire pit, fire you know, and we all know that, but, but nonetheless, you know, my point to, to correlate with this story is that it's the double-edged sword of it. It does kind of suck in a lot of aspects, but then again, for those that are truly in the wrong, the proof is in the pudding here when you're caught, you know, completely red handed on a recording like this. And it is what it is, but things like this, uh, it's going to be a good thing to be weeded out. I feel. Because, that, you know, that's bullshit. Yeah. I get that's kind of the way they do things, but that's not the way it should be. It's like you have rules. If, if one team's getting penalty after penalty, it shouldn't be like, OK, well, this is kind of uneven. We got to get a little thing on this on Nashville for, you know, to even it out or whatever. It's like, just make the fucking calls. Yeah, just do it the right way. Do you your job. Worry about shit like that. Exactly. Yeah. 
and also, too, before we go to break, this is kind of impromptu and it's kind of difficult to do it as a full out review. But <laughs> me and you both caught the same movie over the weekend. It's a movie that was new on Netflix. Uh, it's from 2021, of course, and it's called Bad Trip. Uh, and it stars Eric Andre, who's uh, kind of like a fringe comedian, and it has Lil Rel in it as well. Tiffany Haddish is in here, too. Uh, but this is something pretty different, and it's one part just movie uh, and another part prank show kind of movie, uh, kind of in the vein of like what Borat would be, I would assume. Yeah, Borat uh, or Bad Grandpa with Johnny yeah. Knoxville was like that. And it is fucking hilarious. Holy shit, this movie was funny. I ended up watching it twice over the weekend uh, that I liked it so much. Uh, and obviously me and the J wanted to throw out a recommendation for that because, uh, yeah, this one is uh, it's pretty extreme, if you will. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a look. We spoke about possibly doing an impromptu review on the show because we liked it so much, but we figured, you know, we don't like full spoilers. You know, we give spoiler warnings and, and we would have had that disclaimer. But this is the kind of movie that it would have just been set piece after set piece, scene after scene of us just kind of throwing back and forth at each other just the way that that went. So it'd be pretty much giving away the entire film. So we didn't want to go that route, but we did just want to mention it. And for anybody listening uh, that would have any sort of interest, uh, like Ed said, if you're into Borat or Bad Grandpa, like kind of the jackass realm, which ironically, I don't know if you noticed, I don't know if he was uh, the full-on director because I didn't catch it or was just part of the production team. But um, uh, Jeff, uh, was it, is it Jeff Tremor? Oh, Jeff Tremaine. Tremaine. Jackass. Yeah, from Jackass. He was he was uh, behind the scenes when they started showing some of the, the behind the scenes on the pranks and stuff uh, during the end credits. So I was like, oh, that makes sense that they got him because well, he's, he, he's like a guru at, at this kind of stuff. He didn't direct it. Kateo Sakurai did, who's uh, okay. the same dude who was behind the Eric Andre show. Uh, if you've ever seen that before, uh, I think it was on Parts like, of Cart- it. Cartoon Network, Adult Swim kind of thing. But uh, it's pretty crazy. Uh, I think Eric Andre is pretty funny anyway, so I was curious to watch it. But yeah, uh, it's called Bad Trip, and you can watch that right now on Netflix. Uh, it's one of their newer movies, newer releases. So check that out if you want to check it out. Because me and the J say it's fucking funny. So, if you feel like laughing, I'm telling you. Exactly. So uh, we are going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to get it started this week with a documentary review uh, being the Netflix documentary, surprisingly enough. How ironic is that? Uh, the Last Blockbuster. So we're going to talk about that when we come back. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Want to advertise on the What's Real Podcast? Send us an email today. Just title your email ads at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. For cheap, easy, and affordable rates, contact us today. Again, that's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Would you like to advertise? Send us an email today. This is it for the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week on episode 65 for a jam-packed episode. Of course, we're going to have our WrestleMania preview show to tell you all about the comings and goings of this year's WrestleMania. On Thursday Night Prime, we're going to check out 1985's Life Force from director Toby Hooper in the world of sci-fi. And of course, we're going to take a look at the big battle itself, a review in full of Godzilla versus Kong. All this right here next week on episode 65 of the What's Real podcast. 
free movies from Blockbuster Video. Yours with any VCR or camcorder purchase at Smith's. That's right, you get 12 free movie rentals from Blockbuster with any VCR or camcorder from Smith's. Blockbuster Video has the Northwest's best selection of movies, from classics to the latest releases. And there's a Blockbuster Video near you. But for And we're back, and it is time to take a look at the brand new uh, documentary that just premiered on Netflix. It's from 2020 from director Taylor Morden, and it's called The Last Blockbuster. It's a documentary about the last remaining blockbuster video in Bend, Oregon. Um, now, I think most people at this point know that this place still exists. You did know that, right, Jay, before yeah. you watch this? Okay. Uh, oddly enough, it's the last remaining blockbuster. Now, I was kind of confused about this, and I think that this kind of cleared it up, even though it wasn't totally clear to me. There really is no blockbuster corporation anymore. That's why the woman that owns the store just kind of operates it, uh, and she has a licensing agreement to continue doing so. And basically, that means that you can have a blockbuster sign and you know things like that. But they even show the woman going to Target and, and Walmart on new release day to buy new movies to have to rent. Um, so it seems like this is basically to just placate the local area of people that come in and, and rent stuff. Um, now, of course, it, there's some background and stuff on the Blockbuster company, which I thought was interesting. Um, I'm not really somebody that has a whole lot of fondness for Blockbuster video in general. I mean, I went to them as a kid. Um, it wasn't our regular video store really ever. Um, but, you know, occasionally you'd have to go there to rent certain things and stuff like that. Um, so I did think in a way it was nice to kind of see this. Um, you know, there is some fondness and, and some nostalgia that people have for Blockbuster that I certainly don't. Um, but nonetheless, it was still a pretty fun documentary uh, to kind of go back and watch. I mean, I know you're pretty similar to me, right? You were never really a big Blockbuster guy. No, we, we frequented the mom and pops. Yep. Because, you know, when we came up, like we, we, we talked about it in a far past podcast about our uh, video rental days. And I had that one right down the street. It was basically right smack dab in the middle of, uh, Hey, Ed and I's childhood homes. You know, that one on oh, Google where video Road hits. Day. Yeah. We're right up the street from where video hits used to be. It's where the L club is now. It's now an Elks club. That was oh. a mom and pop video store called arts. Okay. Back in the day. So okay. I still remember that, you know, we, we frequented them and, but like you said, I would, I would go into blockbuster a significant amount still because uh, they had the, the bigger selection a lot of the time and things like that. Like you said, to get certain things, but, but yeah, I mean, for, for us, it wasn't that big of a nostalgia thing. My nostalgia for video rental stores is the even lower level um, versions of Blockbuster. Like Cause, West cause Coast we, we, Video is my That's favorite. what I was just going to say. Yeah. Always on that that same uh, wavelength, West Coast Video, because that had all the wrestling tapes back in the day yeah. in, in our area. So I remember I have memories of, of that, you know, falling into wrestling and, now, and getting cool with you guys and going there with you guys to pick out, you know, all kinds I, of pay-per-views. I will say this. Now, not all blockbusters. Uh, it was just this specific one. But do you remember the blockbuster that we went to uh, right by your house? But it was like on the Penn Hill side back in the day. Uh, yep. There was a blockbuster there. And we used to go there because we found out that they did have a bunch of really cool wrestling tapes. Um, but it was one of the few ones that I even remember going to through high school and stuff like that for anything. Um, there were better video stores around us that weren't blockbustered. 
Yeah, because then it turned into the Hollywood video would have the three for fives. Yep. We, we've talked about that, or I'm sorry, three for 25. And that yep. was like the bulk of my collecting occurred when they would have the three for 25. And for those listening that aren't familiar, Hollywood video, that was like another smaller chain than Blockbuster, but still a pretty prominent chain. But at, at one point when I was like in college in the height of, of building my film collection, every Friday they would have like newer releases. They were all used movies from the ones they rented, but you know, nonetheless, they made sure that they were uh, working of course, and you could buy three for 25. And we even said the last time we brought it up, now you go into a dollar store, you could get like a Blu-ray 4k of Terminator two for like $5. Yeah. I think that's what I got mine. Dude, I think I got a Terminator 2. I don't remember if I ordered it or if I found it somewhere. I paid like seven bucks for the the 4K Blu-ray and the regular Blu-ray of Terminator 2. Yeah, we used to be think it was the best deal in the world to get three used DVDs for $25. Yeah, well, I mean, dude, it, would, it was like back in the day too, like even with wrestling tapes. We were buying used wrestling tapes from video stores for like $12. Yeah, for one like yeah yeah like because that shit was rare back then you know what i mean they didn't just let it go for a dollar or something um but yeah i mean anyway the back to the the documentary itself it basically gives you an overview of how they run the place from day to day uh what it's kind of like to go there uh you know it, it just it's a nice way to document the place uh even for the family that runs it um so like that part's kind of cool um if you obviously don't have nostalgia for video stores i don't think you're gonna give a shit about this documentary at all right um so like it is limited in its audience but i mean i think that we're in its audience and even though i like i said before i don't really have a fondness for blockbuster i was still able to appreciate kind of what the documentary was uh, which felt like kind of a love letter to you know, people who would go there primarily in their youth. We've seen stuff like this on other things, um, not really blockbuster aimed, but just video documentaries and stuff like that. Something, the one that comes to mind for me is like adjuster tracking uh, is basically that. Uh, I'm more in tune with those than I would be something like this, but it was still a light watch like I, it wasn't like oh this is so boring or anything like that it was cool for what it was and that's an 86 do- minute documentary about the the last remaining blockbuster yeah it was breezy they had some good talking heads kevin smith of course is perfect for it uh jamie kennedy of course that of course famously played the video store clerk in the original scream yep so th- those made sense they even had some corporate guys you know guys that had involvement with, with Blockbuster and things like that. So that was a cool perspective to get, of course, within this. And, you know, talking specifically, because I didn't know all the details, how they talked about the demise of Blockbuster. And at one point, famously, they had the opportunity to purchase Netflix. Yeah, and they wouldn't And that ended up not happening. Yeah, they, so, you know, in hindsight's the way it is. Of course, you look back on it, but nonetheless, yeah, that's that's just a cool little tidbit in there that they had the opportunity because we, we kind of said from the outset of finding out about this documentary film, hey, Ed, with it being on Netflix, that it's pretty ironic that you have a documentary about the last blockbuster on the Netflix platform that not single-handedly by any means, that, that one guy even specifically says that, that like, you know, the public assumption is that Netflix 
single-handedly put Blockbuster out of business, and that wasn't the case. They made a lot of corporate mistakes and bad decisions. I think they said one of the worst decisions they made was um, Blockbuster was famous for late fees. And it comes full circle because the founder of Netflix, his idea stemmed from specifically renting Apollo 13 in the 90s and having like a $40 late fee to pay to piss them off. And it kind of sparked the idea for for Netflix that to get films in the mail that you could keep as long as you want, but you can't get a new one until you send it back, you know, which started the whole Netflix before streaming, you know, with the mailing service. So all those aspects were pretty cool because I didn't know too many details about it. So that was a, an interesting part of this for me. Yeah, and it was also the downfall of Blockbuster when they stopped doing late fees because people would just keep stuff. That's what, yeah, Ron, Ron Funches was funny. He's like, man, yep. I found that out. He's like, I've rented as many, whatever, like Nintendo 64 games as I could and just held on to them. Like, you're going out of business, man. You don't need them. So yeah. He was I mean, funny in there, too. Ron Funches is funny. Uh, we also had a few other comedians in this. Brian Posehn showed up in this. Yeah, he's good. Paul Shear, Doug Benson. Uh, as the Jay said, Jamie Kennedy showed up as well. And I was oddly shocked to see Lloyd Kaufman show up in this. Yeah. I wasn't expecting him whatsoever. Talking shit on Blockbuster, of course. Yeah, so I like the fact that they put that in there, like, to kind of show that there was a whole contingent of people that were like, fucking Blockbuster sucks. So, because that was a big part of their legacy as well. So, uh, the cool thing is, it ended up being more of a documentary uh, than just about the last blockbuster. So I was able to appreciate a lot of the other stuff as well. As I said about the element about the family and stuff like that, that runs it, the woman that runs it, she clearly cares about the place. Uh, and it is something to kind of behold, if you will, to have that, you know, that badge is the last remaining one. So hopefully they can keep it open for a while. Cause I'm all for uh, video stores. I wish there was some semblance of a video store where we lived because there's not and it. It's it's kind of sucks because it really uh, keeps things limited on what you can and can't buy and get and watch. Yeah, and that's what's cool. Like speaking to her, it's it's like all community supported, you know, and family owned. Like she mentions her sister-in-law worked there, all three of her sons, all these different people. And they interviewed former employees that are a little older now that were younger kids, of course, that work in a video rental store. And they said it was just a great job. And and she's known as like the blockbuster mom. Like she has that, that, that kind of, you know, um, just attitude with people. Like they showed her like holding babies and stuff. She just seems like a really, really nice person. They showed her with her family. They were BSing on a scene in the kitchen a little bit, which kind of gives you an inside look at their lives. And they just seem like, you know, just a nice tight knit people. And this is like her obsession. Like she's like a workaholic with this, you yeah. know, and her husband says she's just always working. Cause she actually like, like you, you had said earlier, she actually goes to the stores before they open to buy like new releases for their, you know, to, to stock their shelves and things like that. And, and you know, my goofy mind, Hey, and I thought this was funny. Uh, God bless her, but uh, dog, the bounty hunters, ex-wife, she had like those huge boobs and <laughs> South park, South park, like put her on, you know, the character on South Park, like oh, she yeah. like, could barely see over her boobs. And this lady like reminded me of that. She just had those <laughs> just huge globe boobs. And that just, that just was funny. Like part of her personality, you know, but I was cracking up at that. I'm like, I just couldn't get over it. You know, me with boobs. But I'm like, dude, geez, this poor lady, like her back just like, bowling <laughs> balls. You, know? you couldn't but, even get to yeah. the documentary. You're so concerned about her spine. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm about to like look her up on Twitter and be like, you know, I know some good doctors in Pittsburgh that might be able to help you out. But but no, like like you said, this is like a nostalgia thing. And as you mentioned, it wasn't specific to Blockbuster for us, but it still had me thinking about, you know, all the good times we had going to the video store, whatever video store it was, just renting movies. And, you know, renting movies always meant the weekend too, you know, and that just gives you a, a nice fuzzy feeling, that sort of thing. And we kind of know what this is like. Because not only do we deal with it during the the typical years that everybody went through video stores with video stores closing and things like that, uh, we also were lucky enough to find a new one. Uh, And this was like in the the early to mid 2000s with Incredibly Strange Video. Uh, We were going there on a regular basis and we basically witnessed that place go from a place where you can rent and buy movies to a place where you can only buy movies to a place that was closing. And that shit was heartbreaking because uh, I know that a lot of us, uh, you know, enjoyed going over there. That was like a regular thing for us uh, to the point where we made friends with a lot of people that worked there and would shop there and stuff. So you could go there pretty much on a Saturday afternoon and encounter a whole bunch of people that, you know, and you can go hang out there for a few hours and stuff and then come home with a bunch of movies and want to watch for the rest of the night or whatever. Uh, so that was always a lot of fun. And it really sucked when they closed. Uh, you know, we we were there the last minutes they were open. We literally walked out of the door, uh, you know, like the last customers there. Uh, so exactly. it, it sucks. So I know what these people that live close by, you know, like how they feel about the place. And it's just it kind of sucks in general that we've seen the death of the video store because that was always a cool kind of local meeting place with friends or just a typical thing people would do, even when there was nothing else to do, you could at least go to the video store and pick up a few things to watch. That was kind of the underlying theme of this is just the modern era of media consumption where everything is so unpersonable and you don't leave your house for it. And even to the point you were making with going to incredibly strange video and talking to our friends and our friends that are all fellow cinephiles, they're like, Oh, Jared, I can't believe you haven't seen, seen this. You got to see this. And and I'm like, Oh, well, if you like that, you'll like this. And and that's where you get like all these suggestions. And that was a big uh, portion of this where they had a segment talking about that, how you'd go and, you know, BS with the the local video store guy. And Kevin Smith was like, yeah, growing up being a movie nut, like I was, I would think that'd be the best job. You can watch movies on the job. You talk about movies all day. You get to tell people what to watch, you know, and that was a huge aspect. And nowadays you have Netflix and then you have like the the thing that me, you and I always bitch about with that. Hey Ed with Netflix and they have the algorithm of movies the Jay should watch. And it's like, you know, Little Miss Pris on the mountain of chocolate. I mean, I'm like, you wouldn't sit through half of it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, because my daughter was on here. So, of course, it's giving me goofy shit to watch. You know, it's just, again, it's unpersonable. And, and, and it was like, that was the fun part about it was going, not even knowing or having in mind exactly what you were going to rent. And, and browsing and kind of going through like the different genres and checking things out and then hopefully finding a gem and taking a risk with something and talking to the video store clerk about it. And then Dude. when you bring it back, you're like, oh, I wasn't big on it. Or like, Dude, this was a gem. I loved it. You know, all that, those aspects that you don't get with just watching streaming services on your own, um, you know, in your own house, not, not leaving the house for them or anything. And this is something that we don't say here on the show all the time, but I can promise you that it's a big reason why we do this. Uh, the movies and stuff that we talk about here on the podcast we're, are just things that we watched in passing and liked or movies that we have some sort of an affinity for. 
uh, or it fits a certain thing that we're doing. Um, but like, because of the lack of the things that like Jared's talking about, hopefully we could be something like that for other people. Like maybe we've given you something you wanted to watch or introduced you to something that you never heard of before. Uh, that's the cool part of watching all this stuff is yeah. being able to kind of like fit it in and be like, Hey, watch this, try this. Like you might like this, you might like that. Like that's a cool part of watching all these movies. So hopefully we could provide that for somebody uh, that, that would be great. Um, but you know, that's a big part. I think why both of us choose the stuff that we watch here on the show, because it's like, Oh, more people need to know about this. That's why we don't sit here and talk about movies and things that we hate. Cause I'd rather take the time and, and give the, the space to, to stuff that we actually enjoy. Yeah. And that, that's the key word. Hey, Ed, and you said it again, community. And, and that's what it kind of is. It's like people that, you know, we, we were always like that with like, you know, the correlation with cinema wasteland, for example, which is like the yeah. big movie um, con that we would all attend uh, through, throughout the years there. Just everybody with those like interests, you know, just getting together and just bullshitting. You know, it's just always so fun. And that's, again, what, what you're missing with, with the current streaming services and everything being online. Again, it's weird, too, because movies were meant to be communal. Like you were supposed to go to a place and watch a movie with an audience of strangers of maybe. Yeah, you're in there with strangers yep. having a, a very cool experience together. And that's also missing today, too, with a lot of this stuff. So. Like, dude, you know, we've talked in the last year a lot on the show about stuff like coronavirus, but I'm looking forward to the day where I could safely go to a theater again uh, or go to a drive in again or, or something like that, because I like to watch movies with an audience. That's the, the best way to see them. Uh, you, the J, you make movies, and I'm pretty sure you would agree the best way to see a movie is in a movie theater, like on a big, oh, giant sure. fucking screen. That's the point. I miss the, I miss the theater like crazy. I can't wait to go back. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, but as far as the last blockbuster goes, uh, I did think this one was pretty fun for what it was. Uh, it's a pretty breezy 86 minute documentary. And as you guys know, we do a five star rating scale here on the show. I'm going to go with two and a half for this one. Hey, hey, I liked it a, a tad bit better. I'm giving it three stars. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's an easy breezy watch. Uh, we always throw out taglines here on the What's Real podcast. Uh, but the last blockbuster didn't have one, just a pretty plain poster. So um, none, no taglines this week Hey, for the last blockbuster. But yeah, just a solid walk down memory lane. And, um, you know, hopefully that lady's back's okay with those boulders she's carrying around. But God bless her. <laughs> All right, so that's our review, if you will, of The Last Blockbuster. You can check that out right now on Netflix, streaming currently. Uh, we are going to take a quick commercial break, and whenever we come back, me and the Jay are going to get into our final week of our favorite WrestleMania matches of all time. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Hey everyone, it's the Jay from the What's Real Podcast, here today to talk about ChurchillPictures.com. Churchill Pictures was founded by two childhood friends that grew up in Churchill Borough, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Jared Bajoris and Damiano Fusca began collaborating on their first feature film in 2007, Deference, 
winner of the Silver Ace Award at the Las Vegas Film Festival in 2012. Go to churchillpictures.com to check out our original trailers, documentaries, comedy sketches, the entire history of the infamous Backyard Wrestling League, UCW, exclusive independent wrestling content, and exclusive videos showcasing our next huge film project entitled The Marks. This includes an appearance from our character, the feature presentation, Johnny Starr, on the streaming talk show, Alone Together Pittsburgh. We are Churchill Pictures. Established from the bond of two childhood friends, we envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Churchill Pictures. Picture the possibilities. Go to churchillpictures.com today. And we're back, and it is time for the last week here of our WrestleMania, WrestleMania's favorite matches uh, that we've been doing here on the show. Uh, and uh, so let's just get into it. The Jay, what's the first one you got up this week? All right, starting off with the bang. Hey, you know, this might arguably be one of the Jay's favorite, if not the favorite overall WrestleMania match of all time. We're here in our last week of these picks, so I'm starting with a bang. HBK versus Taker, WrestleMania 25. Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to put this one on there. Um, it's considered in many circles to be the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. Some people consider this to be the greatest match of all time. I don't consider it to be that good, but it's about as good uh, as a match gets when it comes to WWE. Um, so I wouldn't argue with that at all. So much to say that I would have actually put that on my list as well. So can't argue there, the J. Yes, yeah, it's, it's always been one of those ones as we kind of talked about, like if, if you're trying to quote unquote convert hypothetically a non-professional wrestling fan, uh, this is one of the matches I'd show them why I love it. And, and one of the goofy like little details that always stuck out to me with this match, there's so many factors on, on why this is great. You know, not only is it the biggest stage, it's the prime of two of the greatest performers that WWF, WWE has ever had. All, all the different factors involved is the... F- chubby goof in the very front row <laughs> and all his reactions throughout it helps make it for me i don't know if you if i'm sure you have because you've watched the oh, yeah. numerous times like yep. notice that dude he's like counting he's just super reacting i think he's doing it for the hard camera anyway it seems like he's a pretty you know intelligent fan um and smart mark kind of guy or whatever but you know just one of those little details that always added that match to me is like his reactions to all the crazy kickouts and everything that they do but like you mentioned hey ed there's pretty much not more that they they could do in the quote unquote WWE style that they don't do in yeah. this match on yep. the stage. So had to shout that one out back at you. Hey, yeah, for your first pick this week, a uh, good call. And here's a name that you're probably going to see a lot this week for me. That is the undertaker. I'm going to yeah. go to WrestleMania 23. And I was shocked because this is a match. I didn't think was going to be good at all. And it is phenomenal undertaker versus Batista. They beat the shit out of each other in this match. This is one of the matches that, to me, solidified that, like, dude, Batista, when he's at a high level, is pretty fucking good. And that's a great call because we always mention how when Batista was first introduced, and that was still pretty much at that that time frame of the muscle heads getting pushed and, yep. you know, Vince McMahon's WWE prototype. The, the OVW and- muscle head yeah kind of like thing. exactly and and we just weren't big on him and he won over our smart mark hearts 
eventually. And as you mentioned, this is one of the matches that did it. I think he had tweeted something about this match not too long ago, a couple months ago. And even before like the mania season stuff that, that we were talking about, we throw on during mania season, a bunch of mania matches. I think because of that tweet, I rewatched this uh, a couple months ago and um, yeah, to have just watched it not too long ago too and re revisited it. It's, it's an amazing match. And uh, I put it up there as one of Batista's best of all time. Too. Yeah. Same, same here. And it's also too, at that point. Um, and I know we're talking about this so many years later, which is kind of funny to think about, but, this was kind of like that period where like Taker was just killing it at mania every year. Like his match was starting to be the impromptu main event, regardless of anything else that was happening. That's just how they had WrestleMania set up there for years. And it's because he was working on this high of a level. So I totally understand it. And like you said, the J, I completely agree. Definitely one of Batista's best matches of all time. For show. What do you got up next the J? All right, I'm, I'm next. Hey, you know, I was going to break it up to get something different on here, but I just had to. And while we're right here, I, knew I just had to throw this. on, I, had to throw on the, the rematch. Yep, HBK versus Taker 2 uh, as far as WrestleManias go um, at WrestleMania 26. Now, okay, here's a question. Which one do you think is better, the first one or the second one? I, see, that's a good, great question. I've always preferred 25. Me uh, too. There's nothing like the original. And I wouldn't argue uh, the matches are de- definitely – uh, comparable, but for me, it's it, the original one uh, always stood out. But this one is so close behind it. That's why I still, like I said, I couldn't replace it. I had to shout it out, just put them in a clump here on the list. But it was just another great outing and more more good storytelling because you know you you have to have that involved. You can't just say, oh, their match last year was so good. You know they had the cool story where Sean's like, "Man, I I can beat you at Mania. I know I can do it. I'll put my my career on the line. I have to do this." Yeah, it was a, it was a cool story, and they built up to that uh, for a while. Um, there was a nice build around that entire feud, the first and second match. So it was really cool the way that they did it because it was a two year long even though they weren't doing it all year long during the regular year, basically, but it was a two year long storyline. So whenever they play out like that and they play out pretty well and the match quality is really good. That's exactly to me, the, what the WWE does better than almost anybody because yeah, they can do that. They, yeah. They can take things up to a higher level. And that's, that's a really good example of that. So good. And if you remembered, we covered that, WWE.com list of their opinion of the top 10 yep. WrestleMania main events. Yep. And I don't know if I had mentioned or not, but it was Undertaker versus HBK from WrestleMania 26, this match that I'm talking about now, but not the first match I, I brought up, the WrestleMania 25 match, because that one actually didn't main event that year. Yeah. So there, so in okay. WrestleMania 26, they main evented. So that's oh. why that wasn't on that list. <laughs> Good luck so. following that at 25. Jesus Christ. Exactly. That's ridiculous. Yep. So uh, to keep with the theme here, we're going to pick another Undertaker match. This time we're going to take it to WrestleMania 39 uh, for one of the weirder matchups that he's had in recent years. But the match really is, is fucking phenomenal and it still really holds up. And I'm talking about the Undertaker versus CM Punk. Uh, dude, this match is unbelievable, especially uh, because it's really surprising to me kind of what The Undertaker sells for. And like it really shows you like what they thought of Punk and even what The Undertaker thought of Punk. And if you remember, too, that's a match that Punk didn't really want to have. He was pissed off he wasn't in the main event. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I think um, you know after everything went down the way it did with the storytelling that he was doing with Paul Heyman, uh, with his, as his um, what did he call him because he wasn't his manager. Oh Christ, is like his advisor or some shit, yeah. something like that. I forget. But nonetheless, you know, with Paul Heyman at his side, and they stole the urn and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm like dying in and out during this episode. But they they used to earn like some of the old school antics in a way, you know, in a more modern program. Uh, but that was like a cool side to it. And then, yeah, they just turned out a really great match to the point where I got to tell you, hey, this was on my audible list to throw in there. Okay. Uh, like we talked about instead of like doubling up. So uh, this was high on the Jays um, list as well. So good call. But yeah, great, great match with Taker and Punk at that year's mania. What do you got up next the Jay? So up next, I'm getting a little bit more modern here. And this was a, a modern match that the one wrestler had to go through hell and high water. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like it wasn't in the corporate rhetoric for this guy to go over, but the crowd just pushed him through and his in-ring and just overall personality pushed him through. And I have on here the main event of WrestleMania 30, the triple threat for the WWE Championship between Daniel Bryan, Randy Orton, and Batista. And, so, and Brian, Brian finally getting the big main event and win. Now, let me ask you, because I have this listed here. I didn't know if I was going to bring it up or not. Um, do Do you think the match is that good or is this more so for like the finish and what it was? See, that's a good call uh, for top mania matches of all time. I'm with you. Uh, there, there might be some out there that are on a lesser level as far as the impact because of you know the history of, of Daniel Bryan winning for the first time in New Orleans. So to your point, yeah, I would agree with that. I would think that the, the in-ring wasn't as good as some of the upper echelon matches. However, because the WWE is the way it is, and the size of Mania and things like that being behind this storyline and stuff, I just had to put it on there because of that. It's just such a memorable moment for me. And that was one of the reasons I picked it, Hey Ed, because the modern Manias don't stand up to some of the nostalgia of some of the earlier Manias that we've been going through over the last few weeks. So as far as modern Manias go, this was one of the ones that stood out to me as something that I wanted to put on the list. Okay. I won't argue with that. I could agree with that. Um, Next up for me is, and it's kind of something similar here, um, and this might surprise a few people, but I'm going to go with WrestleMania 32, and I'm going to go with the ladder match uh, with Stardust, Sin Cara, Sami Zayn, The Miz, Dolph Ziggler, Kevin Owens, and the man who won the WWE Intercontinental Championship, Zack Ryder. Um, really good match, um, really fun finish too. Obviously that was a big deal for Zack Ryder to win that match. Um, and I just really like that match. That's like probably my favorite match from that year's WrestleMania. That's a really good call, man. I forgot, you know, I didn't forget about it, but it's one of those ones lost in the shuffle through all this. So I liked how you scooped that out. But yeah, I remember the the finish was so good because Zack Ryder was one of those characters that he just stuck around for so long. Uh, in ring, he always had that WWE style, but he was always very capable. You know, he turned out some decent matches here and there. He just got like, like we always say with the, when you get tagged with that kind of comedic gimmick and, and you can't be taken too seriously unless your, your gimmicks altered that it's tough to break the ceiling of the main event picture or even the IC title picture in the, like the upper mid card. 
And but Zack Ryder was able to do that. And this was his big moment. And that was just a great culmination to a great ladder match at that year's mania. So great call there. Hey-o. Yeah. And it's a shame they didn't do more with Ryder at the time with the Intercontinental. He lost it pretty quickly. Um, but still, it made for a really good WrestleMania moment and a really good ladder match. So that's why I picked that one. Uh, what do you got up fourth this week, the Jay? So I'm stuck sticking in with um, you know similar picks in a row here that um, I haven't had the audible. Uh, so last pick, calling out the Daniel Bryan big win. This was another modern one that just had me popping, just like the old school nostalgia days. So that's uh, another reason I picked a match like this. And that is the the uh, WrestleMania 35 WWE uh, was it the Universal I believe Championship match between Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston where Kofi finally won it and was the first African American talent in such a long time to win you know one of the big titles uh, that was just just stood out in the last few years of Mania as, as just such a moment. Yeah, effectively known now as Kofi Mania. Um... That was Kofi really Mania, that, that was really cool. It's a really good match. Um, it, it's a great moment. Again, as you notice, this is kind of a theme this week. Is some of the best moments uh, in recent history through WrestleMania. Um, and I was also going to tell you too, the Jay. If you didn't mention that one, I was going to. So very good call uh, on that well, one. There you it's, go. it's it's a really good match. So I definitely ain't gonna argue with that whatsoever. Uh, the one that I'm gonna pick next. Uh, and I'm going to go back a little bit here. I'm going to go to WrestleMania 30, and I'm going to go with Brock Lesnar versus The Undertaker in the match that, uh, you know, that that ended the streak. That's a great call because that was the Jays' last pick, and that's why we have audibles, but we had to get that on there. Hey, yeah, I mean, we were shocked, like everybody else was, that the streak was ended Kind of just out of nowhere, you know, WrestleMania 30 there. I, I think all of us were just expecting Taker to go over Brock. You know, it wasn't like this younger up-and-coming guy that was going to receive a big push situation. I think that any of us that know about the behind-the-scenes ongoings kind of would make that you know decision in their head going into it that Brock wasn't going to be put over because he didn't have to be kind of thing and the streak would just live on and then out of nowhere after that third or fourth f5 that was it and that's another one you know throwing throwing out the uh the fans that help make things uh that black dude they showed that just oh, had yeah. the wide eyes yep. and his jaw was dropped you know that famous shot of him like after the three count uh helped sell it so no matter how you feel about the decision and, and we've talked uh you know with these recent undertaker documentaries where he spoke about it and, and with Vince and everything, the the behind the scenes with, you know, Vince making a personal trip to Taker's locker room and specifically saying, we're, we're doing it. We're ending this, the streak, this mania and Taker being like, you sure boss, You're, we're ending it. And Vince is like, I'm sure. And Taker went with it and you can say whatever you want with hindsight on how it worked out or not, but they pulled the trigger and nothing will ever change that. And I always say about this, whether it was the right decision or not, it's still a milestone. It's still a shocking, shocking moment. And it's something I'll never forget. So I'll give it that. Absolutely. And that's why I had to put it on the list this time. So, all right, the J, here it is. What's your last choice for your favorite WrestleMania match of all time? So right here on what's real, our top WrestleMania match picks. Uh, we're ending it this week. 
it's been a great time. Hey, you know, as we always say that, that walk down memory lane since we were kids and watched a lot of these matches together at our WrestleMania parties and get togethers. It's been a blast and it's always a nice fuzzy place to be here. Hey, yeah. So all that disclaimer, this was very tough because there's so many that can fit on here, but I figured I'll just go with one of the, the big ones. And we are actually ironically critiqued this one when we were speaking of the pre-forementioned WWE.com, uh, their opinion on the top 10 WrestleMania matches, but I definitely had to throw it on there because it was two of the biggest guys of all time. The build was for um, you know multiple years, and I went with the rematch because there was two of them. But I went with Rock Cena too. Okay, yeah, I could see that. I mean, that was a like people forget now. I think how big of a deal those matches were. Exactly. At the time. Yeah. And so, and the matches weren't. You know, it's not going to be Angle Michaels and things like that. But uh, still, for what they were, I think they were great. You know, specific. I'm talking about WrestleMania 29. Um, you know, the big show in New York at, at the stadium, you know, you have the atmosphere. And again, in the modern age, I got to keep pointing that out. The long-term storylines, especially within the WWE, because we talk about, you know, AEW doesn't have as much content. They can kind of do slower burns and things like that, which is something I could personally just talk on myself as a, a wrestling fan. I, I love the most is the appropriate buildups. And this one had such a buildup to it that it doesn't happen uh, that much anymore. So that was a big part of my choice in this too. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't argue with any of that stuff. It's that was one of the last few times that there was a giant marquee match on WrestleMania to me. Exactly. Um, yeah. And you know, that's definitely missing now. So that's kind of a shame. Uh, and my last one uh, is going to be kind of indicative of my choices this week. So you're going to see again, none other than the undertaker. And this time I'm picking what is most likely his last match in WrestleMania history. And it's a match that I was not looking forward to whatsoever. And I found myself to be blown away by what the finished product was. And I'm talking about last year's matchup between the undertaker and AJ styles in the boneyard match. Uh, the first nice. cinematic match, I guess, in WWE history. Um, and it was much better than I expected it to be. I'll tell you that. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that people are going to remember for a long time. Um, it was a lot of fun. It's not, again, uh, the mind-blowing matches that we've seen from the past. Um, but, you know, it's still really fun and it was really different. So I was actually uh, pleasantly surprised by it. And, uh, you know, it, they were in the middle of a pandemic. And they were able to make something that I found to be compelling and kind of able to get my mind off all the weird stuff that was going on uh, at that time. That was definitely the best attribute of that match was that we had no clue what they were going to put together. And I think our expectations were low, which again, always kind of helps out when something kind of comes out of nowhere and surprises you like that. Like, like you mentioned a pleasant surprise and that's exactly what that was, you know, going in there being like, what exactly are they doing? And it's freaking AJ and taker. I mean, both are capable. So let's check this out. And from taker doing the storyline with like the three different, aspects of his career involved, like how AJ got personal with his wife. And it was like the, what did he call it? Hey, I had like the trifecta of, of something like of terror or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, the unholy, I think he called it the, oh, unholy, the unholy trinity. trinity. Yeah. 
Yeah. So do you want to explain that? Hey, Ed, you could probably explain that better than me. I'm stumbling and bumbling. I was going to say such a cool aspect. I don't even remember exactly what he was talking about. (laughs) Well, it was like, you know, because he had he portions of it. He was biker taker. Oh, it was like all the different characters of the undertaker. I Yeah. Yeah, And and then and then for the first time, because again, with the personal call out of his wife for this particular angle going into the boneyard match from AJ as a heel, it was for the first time Mark Calloway yep. was thrown in there. So, and then that was the last time, most likely, they were going to see him in a wrestling capacity too. So, I thought that that made a lot of sense. Uh, exactly. That yeah, that's did. what the un, the unholy trilogy yeah. trinity was was Mark Calloway, old school Taker, and then Biker Taker. Yeah, you know, those three involved in the storytelling. But yeah, to to get back to it, man, with with WWE's production value and the way they did that, throw in some uh, Metallica. You know, in yeah. there with Taker coming out to that and stuff. It was just a really cool experience and a great call to go out on uh, Taker's last match. I say that's, um, you know, that makes a lot of sense hey, you know, to go out on that. So hope you guys have enjoyed our month long celebration of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. Uh, I know we enjoyed doing this one. It's always fun to come on here and bullshit about wrestling for sure. So, uh, yo. Yeah, I was going to say, what the hell was that? I don't know, but dude. You all right? Yeah, I'm good, dude. Whoa, shit. Go, go, go. Just go. Dude, I'm out. Dude, go, go. bunker. Yep, go down. All right, guys, real quick. We have to take a quick commercial break. As long as we live through this, uh, we'll see you after the commercial break for some Thursday Night Prime. But, you know, say your prayers. I don't know. Uh, Oh, shit. The Jays hurt. All right, I'll be back. Hopefully, we'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Cut and Run Studios is a multimedia facility that specializes in video production and photography. In the internet era, visual communication is the most powerful tool for storytelling. We believe it is our job to deliver the most compelling visual interpretation of a message and provide all the necessary capabilities in-house so that we can cover every angle of your story. Our production facility is at 1532 Beachview Avenue, Pittsburgh, PA, 15216. Check us out at cutandrunstudios.com. It's time for Thursday Night Pride. All right, we're back. Me and the Jay lived through all that, thankfully. It was touch and go there for a second. The Jay just had a flesh wound. We got that all yeah, sewn right. up. Uh, just make sure it doesn't Another bleed. Another scar to the, the body canvas. Hey, you know. Just don't bleed through and get that all over the board there. You don't want that yeah, to happen. Bleeding stopped. So okay, far, well, that, so. well, that's good. So it is time once again for Thursday Night Prime. And this week, we're going to go venture back to, let's say, 1993, the J. Sound good? Uh, 94. Okay. 90, Maybe it came out in the theaters in 93. This was I have 94. This never played in a theater. Let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> Talk about straight to video. Yes. Uh, we got this at Blockbuster. And it stars Rowdy, Roddy Piper, and the Tybo's creator, Billy Blanks, in a, a buddy action movie. And it's called Back in Action. Uh, it is the story of two men have different motivations, but the same goal when they team up in mountain assault on a powerful drug gang. Um, that's about as much plot as you're going to get in this one, because really <laughs> yeah. that's even stretching it. Um, you basically have Roddy Piper as a cop named Frank Rossi and Billy Blanks plays the character of Billy. Jesus Christ. 
Big stretch, yeah, big stretch there. And he's a former veteran who is obsessed with protecting his sister when he's not driving his cab. This, of course, leads him getting into an encounter with Roddy Piper in a bar, which is pretty fucking funny. It's a great fight scene. And uh, and eventually these two are working together against the same bad guys, which basically just means they're in the same vicinity as they kick and punch and shoot and kill everything around them. Um, and the classic sound effects of. Oh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of that in this. Uh, <laughs> now, as I said, uh, the, the plot in this one's pretty thin. There's not much to say about it, frankly. Um, now, that probably you would think has already started us off on a bad foot. But surprisingly, not so much uh, because there are tons of fight scenes. There are tons of shootouts and they're all pretty good, actually. Um, the character that Roddy Piper plays is pretty weird in this one, especially when you're used to seeing Roddy Piper. He's like way more reserved than Piper. Is, exactly. That stood out to me, uh, which is weird. Uh, and dude, Billy Blanks, Jesus, it's not like this dude can do some amazing martial arts and he looks really good doing it on camera. Yeah, he was he was ripped up in this. But my God, he's the worst fucking actor of all time. Terrible. And him with his sister in the car. Jesus, Ugh. it's so bad. And dude, I but don't... Man, you're, going, you're part of my family. She's like, what? And I brought this up to you uh, as a side note here. But it's like, okay, it's it's the early 90s, so I will forgive the terrible fashion. I understand. Uh, now, <laughs> Billy Blanks is a dude who is fucking shredded. Like, he couldn't possibly yeah, so he be in better no shirt with vests on it but he certainly doesn't give a flying fuck about his hair because whatever the fuck he was trying to do at this time was not working um it's distractingly bad um but for a movie that's really really thin on plot it's amazing how far this one goes because it's not boring it's pretty fun nonetheless and even though you're not wrapped up into some crazy plot there's not a lot of stuff that gets bogged down over just like meandering. They kind of just get to the point, get to the shit. Yeah, the pace the is pretty good. Yeah, all things it, considered. it moves along pretty well. Uh, but and, the thing that I remember about this one, like, is it being kind of a pretty funny, like, buddy thing? Yeah, it's not funny at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just other, the unintentional. Yes, there's really always, no, like, even Piper, it kind of sucks because I feel like if they would have let him throw in some ad libs and shit, it would have been a lot more fun than what it was. But they clearly wanted a less interesting character than what Roddy Piper is in real life, which is weird. Yeah, just, they like watered them down. Yeah. But yeah, off the off the bat, hey, you know, some of the initial UIC that had me. Uh, LOL, and which it didn't even occur five minutes in. I have this time stamped at the close to three minute mark. Hey, Ed, of this movie, okay. where two of the thugs are standing around. The one dude, like, kind of bitches at the other dude, and he's like, Don't tell me I'm nervous. That's before you learn how to jerk off. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, Here we go. And then when they finally get to the lead um, villain, I am not kidding. I thought it was Moose. Daryl Johnson. <laughs> That's hilarious. I was like, Daryl John. I was going to text you. And then I realized it's not Daryl Johnson. And dude, <laughs> so, so they did a pretty good job at casting that dude. But the dude who plays like 
the the underling oh, the bad. lead henchman dude the Horrible. dude with the sun like here here's the thing that people apparently didn't realize in 1993 you can't just make a dude wear sunglasses all the time and people would be like whoa this dude's scary this is the worst like he looks like a nerd i mean like i would think that billy blanks would beat this dude up in about three seconds with barely yeah. even trying and they'd basically try and balance it out by making him like the most cold-hearted dude ever. And he just sucks. He's terrible. He's awful. Now, the other dude isn't bad. The one that like is working with him, but like kind of feels like he could get murdered by him at any time. That dude was the dude cool. Fucking, the dude fucking the sister? Yes. The dude. That, yeah. Like yeah. he was pissed whenever they killed off the like he would just like like the remember the dude that got shot. And he like, he's like, oh, I got to get to a hospital, man. He's like, yeah, we got to get some, get him some help or he's going to die. And, and then the dude just pulls out a gun and he's like, yeah, he, shoots him. he is going to die. And he just shoots him. <laughs> but the, that other dude was good. I thought, oh, like this dude's a reasonable henchman. Like he has some things he doesn't feel like that they're doing that's right. He's not annoying. He actually feels like a dude who can somewhat act when the other dude can at all. Like, it's a fucking atrocity yeah, how bad that dude is. Um, so I didn't really remember that. And I'd seen this movie, and I'm a fan of this movie for the most part. And I didn't really remember the henchman being so fucking bad. Yeah, he was terrible. I, I, I called out a pretty early fight scene that took place in Billy Blank's character, uh, as we said, so originally and creatively named Billy, in his apartment after his sister disappears and he fights these two dudes. And instead of everyone was Kung Fu fighting, my note says everyone was Zubaz fighting. Because oh, if you notice, the one dude had Zubaz on and gets thrown out the window. So I thought that was hilarious. I just I love the one dude had Zubaz on. He got thrown out the window. And that's exactly what <laughs> happened. Like, it's not, yeah, and then, not even trying to be funny. That's an exact replication of what happened. And his sister shows up like not not too far after that, and Blanks goes on like a rant, like, "Are these the guys you're hanging out with? Look at them! Look at them!" And the dude's like, "Head's half gone." Yes, dude. <laughs> just, she's like, "No." Nah. She's pretty awful too. Like, she's bad. It, it's like, dude. There's a lot of like, dude. When Roddy Piper is noticeably the best yeah. actor in the movie. And I'm not shitting on Piper either, because like I think Piper's actually really good. Yeah, he's very serviceable. Yeah. Um, but it's like, God damn, dude, they're everyone else sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like, what did they cast Roddy Piper and then b- get Billy Blanks for the martial arts, and then everyone else needed to be like, this is the director's cousin, it's the producer's sister. And it's not really like that. These people were hired to be in this movie, and most of them are just awful. Yeah, like you said, the boyfriend and then uh, Moose, Nigel Bennett, who plays the the lead villain, he was serviceable as well. But besides that, the movie's pretty terrible, but the action scenes in this are all pretty good. The fight scene between Blanks and Piper in the bar is really good. That was That's really a good. lot of fun. And they always seem, and I thought this was kind of cool too, like every time Blanks was about to get into a fight scene, right? And, like, you could tell it's coming. Like, there's something happening. You're like, oh, they're going to fight. The first thing that Blanks does is always, like, fucking unbelievably amazing. Like, he'll do, like, yeah, this like twisting, kick. twisting, flipping kick with blue lights 
just illuminating the background for no reason. Like that stuff's all really cool. Like I'm like, this actually has a little bit of style to it, considering most of it looks like it's made by people who have no idea what they're doing. So (laughs) like the bar scenes hilarious because it's clearly not a bar. Like there's, there's a lot of that stuff going on. It could have probably used a bigger budget than what it had, but again, with a lot of stuff working against it, this is it's still find like finds a way to be entertaining to me. Again, I'll use the word serviceable. That's the word of the week for yeah. Like action. it's it's pretty consistent. Like the acting's pretty terrible, but the action's pretty good. So it like you know, and when you're watching an action movie with fucking Roddy Piper, you're not expecting Marlon Brando. So I'm thinking that this one is hitting on more stuff than what it's not hitting on. I'd much rather see a movie just kind of say fuck the plot than like meander through one that's like way too complicated and it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, and I'll have to put in filler shit like, oh, no, now we got to add a scene where Piper and Blanks are having breakfast because we don't have enough time. Yeah, and they're, and they're talking about shit that makes no sense. Like, whenever I was yeah. head of the ACDA, we didn't do this. It's like, well, I do it like this. It's because of my partner who was killed in 84. And it's like, yeah, nothing's involved in the actual plot. And it's like they wanted to shoot more shit from that conversation and just didn't have it in the budget. So they put the coffee shop scene in, but not any of the other stuff they're talking about. Like, that's what I don't want in a movie like this. They managed to skip out on that. The movie, like, they didn't come across like they were making some high art here. They knew what they were doing. They got Piper. It was made for the video store. I kind of respect it for that. My last note was, uh, I can't remember if it was Blanks or Piper was fighting one of the just random thugs and another lookalike Danny McBride popped up. Like, man, he's fighting fucking Kenny Powers in this mug. Dude, and it's and I had to add this in too because it's here in my notes. I liked how they made Piper's character like the dude who fucking thinks karate's stupid. Yeah, like you know, like in the bar, you always get that guy. He's like, "All right, enough of this karate shit," and just punches him in the face <laughs> yeah. and hits him with a stool. Like it just remind like that character to me is fully born out of like Nick Nolte in Forty Eight Hours to me. And Piper can yeah. play that, which is funny. The grizzled cop. Yeah, yep, just like, yeah, sure. like he hates everything. But and his, his love interest in this, the uh, journalist chick was super hot. Yeah, that, he looks up with. that was kind of surprising because it was like, OK, they did this out of the blue. But she, I noticed, is from other stuff, too. I think her name's Bobby Phillips. She's in a bunch of like 90s, like softcore kind of crap, but she's never like the softcore chick. Did you uh, catch what her character name was, by the way, which I thought was weirdly ironic? Uh, Helen Lewinsky. Lewinsky. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is ironic because that happened after this movie. So it surprisingly had nothing to do with it, but that's still a coincidence. Thank God for the 90s. But uh, hit us with the uh, tagline on this one, the Jay. So the tagline for Roddy Piper and Billy Blanks and back in action, one cop. One vigilante, one mission, one chance. Okay. Uh, There's actually another one that I found. Uh, A two-man force of destruction set to destroy the illegal establishment. So that one's pretty terrible. The first (laughs) one was good. The illegal establishment. Yeah, like what? Like you mean? Like what's what's another word for mafia? Like illegal establishment? Like I don't like it, but we're going to go with it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So 
you know, overall, this one uh, isn't going to blow your mind. But if you've if you're like us and you need to see most of the movies that Roddy Piper's done, you got to put it on the list. Uh, and as we do here on the show with the five star rating scale, I'm going to give this one three stars. All right. I got two and a half. Hate you. All right. So we flip flop our ratings on our movie reviews this week. So uh, don't forget to join us next week on Thursday Night Prime when we take a look at a movie from the 80s. It's from 1985. It's from director Toby Hooper, and it's from the Canon uh, series, and it's not really an action movie. It's more of a sci-fi movie. Uh, we're going to talk about Life Force, so that's going to be pretty cool. Look forward to that on next week's show. Uh, but we got to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, it's time to wrap up the show and talk some goofs. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. IWC Wrestling presents The Eliminator live Saturday, April 24th at 1 p.m. at the Brownsville Drive-In at 6229 National Pike in Grindstone, Pennsylvania. All tickets, general admission, just $25. All spectators at the event are required to wear masks and masks at all times. Again, that is April 24th, Saturday, 1 p.m. IWC presents The Eliminator. Hey, everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Geeks Are Geeks. And we're back, and the J, what do we got this week on the goof front? As we always say, hey, yeah, episode 64 of the What's Real Podcast is no different than our past here. Welcome to Goofs or Goofs. There are a ton of goofs, and we have five segments this week. So first up is as we throw on some... Uh, also interesting, you know, kind of miscellaneous things in the goose or goose segment. We're going to start there. Hey, y'all. I don't know if you caught this week's 60 minutes. I didn't actually. So one of the segments, they finally got in. They've been trying for many years and haven't been able to. They finally got into Boston Dynamics. For those unfamiliar, Boston Dynamics is actually uh, one of the leading forces in robotics. They made the dogs. And they're the ones that they? Like, they made the dogs, yeah. and they made these robots that do like parkour and flips. Yeah, it's crazy. So this I felt was like a cool place to bring up within the podcast to talk about it, but it kind of brings up, of course, the other side of AI and robotics, and that, of course, is anybody that's ever seen a part of the Terminator franchise yeah, Skynet. In any way. In Skynet, but the uh, end of it, they uh, showed all four of their robots, one of which was the dog, were dancing to um, the mashed potato. (laughs) And I'm like, I I just had two words to myself. We're fucked. Dude, they're scary as fuck, man. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Like Dancing to the mashed potato. Like, dude, you see these things? Like the dog ones? Like. You can have like a 500 foot head start running full speed. They're going to catch you in like five seconds. Like it's dude, I, you're screwed. I actually saw them. I actually saw them in person down where uh, the area that actually you yourself formerly worked. Hey, Ed in Oakland um, within Pitt and CMU, they were using the dogs. They'll have cameras on them and they uh, like work as security and things like that. That's awful. So, like, I actually saw them in action. I was like, what the hell? I think it was like um, I wasn't out last summer. So it must have even been like two years ago just because Pittsburgh's where CMU is. And there's a big uh, robotic uh, portion of CMU. So Ugh. it must have had something to do with that, you know. But, yeah, that, that I thought was an interesting thing to bring up. The and, future as I mentioned, sucks. 
<laughs> yeah, the future's scary, man. Pandemics and freaking robots dancing to the Mass Potato. Ugh. It's it's craziness. Next up, Michael Strahan, our boy. He's actually testing his classic look. As everybody knows, Michael Strahan sports an iconic tooth gap. Okay. Well, it's a wrap for the gap at least temporarily, hey, Il, as Michael Strahan underwent a procedure to close his iconic gap between his two front teeth, and he looks great. Uh, Strahan is explaining that he uh, has discussed closing the gap with anyone in his life, from friends to business associates, because they would try to talk him out of it, but he wanted to do this for himself. And we're told that a dentist proposed a temporary solution to see how he liked it, essentially a removable dental piece that gives a look of a filled-in tooth line. And, um, you know, it just looks hilarious because anybody that's known Strahan and follows the NFL and his career and things like that, that is obviously his iconic gap. And he just looks kind of different with, you know, the, the pearly whites there in this picture. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the same thing that Roman Reigns did not too long ago. He got, like, his upper teeth redone. and it's Yeah, he looked the, like Donkey from Shrek. You know, it's weird. Like, people look weird at first, and then you get used to it, like, very quickly, and then it doesn't even matter. Anymore. Yeah. So. That's they, like, my, my brain candy shit is um, my wife and I still – torture ourselves and watch uh the jersey shore idiots oh jesus and uh the the one ronnie got that <laughs> they just get on them hey. they just you know they got them chompers dude it's people are gonna fuck with you about something so like if it makes you feel better then just do it even if people are gonna fuck with you over it they'll get over it or just fuck with them back about something they're all you know, like particular about that's pretty much what people do is just fuck with each other. Well, and if, if you're like boys with people like that and like, say you get locked out of your house, they could just eat the fucking doorknob and you're in like that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, Michael Strahan getting rid of his iconic gap. Will he be a goof or not? We'll, we'll have to see. We'll pay attention somewhat. Maybe probably not. Nah, fuck him. Moving on is our viral video of the week as one of the world's strongest man, um, the UK's own Eddie Hall decks out a YouTuber named Now Wilson after he volunteered to take a punch from the world's uh, former world's strongest man. Uh, maybe being former or not, hey, Ed, if you see Eddie Hall, he is still just a beast. You know, just looks like a modern Viking. Um, looks like he eats cars. Dudes, let's be honest. He eats cars and, uh, yeah, just lifts super heavy shit for a living, of course. And the dude, of course, is wearing protective gear. But that doesn't mean he didn't get hurt as, uh, you know, we'll post the viral video on the Twitter uh, for those of you that follow us. And this dude just goes flying after just a solid body shot from Eddie Hall. And I was dying, dude. It's like I see a lot of stuff like this now on social media and I don't really understand it. It's like, are people this confused about how fucking physics works? Like, (laughs) I'm not. So, like, I don't need some 400 pound dude that looks like he fucking eats barrels like Donkey Kong uh, to punch me to prove it. Like I'm good. I've been punched enough in my life. I'm good on that. I know how it works. Yeah. Hall lands a single jab to Wilson wearing a body belt, but it still sent him flying. And as Wilson said, after the incident, my brain hit the back of my head. Dude, you realize that that dude's arm, like one of his arms is probably like 80 pounds lighter than the whole dude he's punching. That's it. <laughs> he's like half of his body weight is in one of this dude's arms. Well, and on top of that, Eddie Hall is preparing to make his boxing debut as a super heavyweight. So he's learning how to actually throw punches professionally. Yeah, well, that's probably this, not going to go well idiot. for him. 
Oh no, the the oh never mind. I thought you meant the little dude was fight. I was like, that's yeah, I don't no. know how that's gonna work, but no. Yeah, I think the little dude he uh, officially retired from YouTubing. Dude, that other the Eddie Hall dude. It's like I'm I'm not saying he's gonna be a good or bad boxer, but like, how the fuck do you fight a dude like that? Like, you can only punch him in the face. Yeah, good luck. Like, what are you gonna do? To work say. his ribs? Like, uh, this dude's <laughs> yeah. jacked as fuck. He's fine. Like, yeah, it ain't happening. No. But we'll see. Interesting thing. And yeah, it's hilarious. This kid goes flying just from a body punch. Next up, hey, you know, Gooser Goose 64 is still in the fight world as a big freak show boxing match is coming up as the Paul brothers continued their relentless effects of being within the boxing world as Jake Paul is taking on former UFC uh, fighter Ben Askren and they had a recent, you know, I guess, I don't know if it was a uh, weigh in, you know, or just a publicity event and freaking Ben Askren just made Jake Paul look like a goof. He face smeared him, you know, kind of slapped him, pushed him in the back of the head, things like that. Jake Paul just looked like the douche that he is. And I was dying and Dude, had to throw him that, within the goof section. Just here. to throw it in there. Cause you brought it up, but did you see what Logan Paul's going to be on this week? No Smackdown. Oh God! Yeah, I hope he gets power bombed and it goes wrong. Ugh, these fucking dudes! Like, I seriously like. I get that I'm not like into everything, but like when I see repeatedly like names, like I'm like, why do I keep fucking hearing about these? I don't care about them, but I can't escape them. So they're perfect <laughs> well, for the goof section because that's exactly how I feel about them. But Jesus yeah. Christ! Yeah, they as got it good, says on here, they Jake. got good PR people. I'll tell you that. Well, as you said, Jake Paul is the brother of Logan Paul. Both are YouTube online personalities with sizable followings across almost every social media platform, initially gaining popularity on the now defunct video platform Vine and Jake Parr starring in Bizarre Vark, a show on Disney Channel. And as of late, both Paul brothers have become well known for bizarrely boxing. And uh, we've covered a couple of these things. And that's where this goes into as Jake Paul's next big fight, as we're saying, uh, I think here in April. So we might have to watch the freak show just to have some fun talk about it. But Jake Paul takes on Ben Askren in April in a weird celebrity boxing match here. And hopefully he gets decimated, but he'll <laughs> yeah. win. We'll have to see. Hey, you know, the odds are in, I would have to say Ben Askren's favor, but you never know. It is boxing because Ben Askren's more of a wrestler, but still he's a goddamn UFC fighter. And Jake Paul is one of the Paul brothers. <laughs> next up to round us out and goose or goose this was just classic footage you know how i am hey i've done some independent film stunt work i've loved my stunts you've seen some of them personally that weren't even captured on video or anything like I that have. throughout our lives and they posted this thing on twitter that i had sent to you uh, we could repost it it is a crocodile stunt from the james bond film live and let die in 1973 the catch though the scene back in the early 70s there was filmed with real crocodiles. Ross Katanga, the owner of a croc farm and whose father had been eaten by a croc, performed the stunt that would be used in the film and nailed it on the fifth take. Hey, yeah. That sounds absolute about right. madness. I mean, if you see this, dude, the dude just sprints in um, as like a henchman guy that's doing a scene with Bond and basically tries to use the alligators like he's a fucking Atari game figure from that game pitfall and like, you know, run through the water using their heads as lily pads 
and he crashes into the water and the crocodiles are there. And it's just one of those, you got to see it to believe it. But I was going nuts at this, like craziest shit ever. It's, this dude just doing a stunt with real crocodiles it, it, and no safety precautions. It's not surprising to me though, because every time that I've talked to met or interviewed people who made movies about like animals, let's say, you know, they're the stories are all the same, even though these are all about different people. They're all the same about like, we had a guy that brought the croc, the dogs, the lion, the bear, the whatever insert animal here to the set. He was the wrangler of the bear, the insert animal here for the movie. And he was fucking crazy. Oh, yeah, he lived around a bunch of bears. Oh, yeah, he had lions all over his house. Oh, no, he had fucking stingrays in his bathtub. They're always some batshit crazy motherfucker. So they, they look over and they just see Doc Anton rolling well, up on an elephant well, dude, to set. See, here's the thing that you might like, because we're so used to it with movies, right? Like, they have everything. But, like, you know, when you're making a movie, which you've done, um, it's probably not the most ideal situation to be in. Like, all right, here's the aardvark scene. Someone call an aardvark guy, and it, the, and then you find him. And it's like, I got the aardvarks. What do you need? Like, yeah, we're going to do this scene where they're running through a field and they run over some guy. Oh, yeah, we can do that. I got 34 of them. How many you need? Like, this dude's weird as fuck for just having that many aardvarks to begin with, let alone being like yeah i got the aardvarks how many you need like you're gonna deal with a fucking total whack job that's just how that goes he, he like talk talks to them and they understand him and vice versa that's when it, it's like some dude that lives in the middle of nowhere so like, yep just me and my crocodiles out here this was this is daisy and this is mabel and it's like is this dude fucking alec well no he died well i don't know if you met him he might fuck alligators i don't know but like yeah, there's a good chance. There's a good but chance that's, that's you're the dealing thing with a complete weird fuck. This this specific stunt too. It's like okay, like you know, crazy stunt. I'm doing this once. Make sure the cameras are rolling. Fuck, fucked it up. I'm only doing this one more time. If it doesn't work, that's it. Fucked it up. This motherfucker five times. It's like the great outdoors when he's talking to that dude that got struck by lightning. He's like six, 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 six. He's like whoa, six times, six sixty six times. Yeah. You know, it's like. How many times does it take you to do that? Like one or two, like five times. Meanwhile, he like, is. Dude, you ran into crocodiles five fucking occasions. Dude, he has three fingers, one arm, and like a half a foot. And it's like, yeah. what happened? Like, what the hell do you think yeah. happened? Like, why do you think they call me nubby? Like, like I don't know, that explains it. Like, I Ross. really didn't want to think about that, but that's why I kept calling you Ross. But, you know, <laughs> sure, stubby. Yeah. But as I say to my brother from another mother here on episode 64 of the What's Real podcast and Goofs or Goofs, between Eddie, Eddie Hall knocking a dude across the ring to Michael Strahan losing that iconic gap to the train wreck of Jake Paul and Ben Askren to Skynet and the Boston Dynamic crazy-ass robots to a crazy-ass crocodile stunt on Live and Let Die. Goofs are goofs. Goofs. So that is it for us this week here on the show, guys. If you're listening on iTunes, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. It helps out the algorithm to get more eyes and ears on the show. Uh, and, of course, you can listen to us every week on all your favorite podcasting platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and, of course, each and every week 
on churchillpictures.com. If you have anything you'd like to add to the show, feel free to send us an email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. I implore you to do so. Um, but that's about it. But before we get out of here, I hear the Jay's revving it up over there. So take it away, the Jay. Revving it up like Jake Paul as he preps his little PP to bone. Hey, y'all. Very pumped up this week, man. We're closing in on the big 6-5, if you can believe that. Insanity, man, 65. Can't wait. It's going to be an extravaganza next week, as it always is. But 64 here was a blast. Hey, you know, as I always say, the great escape. Steve McQueen in it from Pandemic Living. Always love spending my Tuesday evenings and tonight with you and your ass. As we always do, shout out. Love the show. Shout out to Cam, the producer, the wizard behind the boards. Thanks for making us crystal clear, Cam. Keep doing what you're doing. And to everybody out there, especially in the pandemic, as we've been saying, stay safe, stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. So that is it for us on episode 64. Thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you, the J, for sitting down with me here on the show as we do each and every week. Uh, I enjoy it. So there's nobody else I'd rather do it with, man. So thanks for doing that. Uh, of course, big shout out to our producer, Cam, for all the hard work he puts into the show. We all know nobody beats the whiz. So thank you for all that. But that is it for us this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. And we hope to see you right here next week for episode 65. So stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you right here next week on the What's Real podcast. What's real? What's real?